0: How are you, Jason?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a, a busy fall. I'm. I'm. Uh, Apple did a lot of stuff this fall, kept, I think, all of us really busy. So it's kind of nice to uh, almost relax a little bit at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I'm almost at that point. But I still have, like, a bunch of really good articles, or at least I think good articles, that I've been meaning to write. And I really cannot believe that I may not get to them all by the end of the year. Like, I thought, this will be great. I've got, I want to write about this marzipan stuff. I've... I have a couple of them, but uh, and and they're all still in gestational form. But yep. it's not for lack of work, and it's not for lack of other things that I've written about, and etc. It's just a lot going on.
1: Well, and Apple this year, and a little bit last year, they staggered all their releases, right? So you got one set of phones, yeah. and then the next phone, and then the you know and the the iPads and the Macs, and it just was a very stretched out period. So there was like there was always something else happening right around the corner um that you know required sometimes travel, sometimes spending a lot of time focusing on a particular product and right and then you so you know this that you end yeah. up with this just uh six weeks, eight weeks where uh you your time kinda isn't your own because there's always another thing that's popping up.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh let's lead with the news, the hot news which may or may not be, <laughs> it'll either be a totally different story by the time this podcast airs. We're recording on Friday, December 21st. I don't expect the show to air till Monday. So who knows what will have open over the weekend. But there's things I want to say about it that, that should hold up no matter what happens. But it's uh, it's the new Ben Gate with, with iPad Pros.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy
0: so it started i think two days ago with a report at the verge by chris welch and the headline of the piece was apple confirms some ipad pros ship slightly bent comma but says it's normal (laughs) Uh and you know and he describes reports from people online uh, Mac rumors, forums, et cetera, people with some photographs of iPads that show a slight bend. And then he claims this is the more, more, most intriguing part to me is he claims that he purchased a brand new one and in retail and out of the box. It was slightly bent, which, you know, and, and not to denigrate people who contribute to the fine forums at Mac rumors and other sites. But it's, you know, it's a lot more credible than when a byline staff writer at The Verge says he's seen it. The headline certainly didn't help. <laughs> and he did talk to Apple, but he did not have a quote from Apple. Um, you know, it's, and, and you and I, you know, again, this is inside baseball, but I think it explains a lot is, you know, I speak to representatives at Apple PR frequently, I have spoken to them about this particular issue, because I had some questions. And for the most part, when you speak to Apple PR, it is off the record. When you do get something from Apple on the record, it is, in my experience, always in the form of a very carefully written statement that they will email to you and tell you, you know, you can attribute this to an Apple spokesperson. And basically, they are extremely careful with their words and they want to get it in writing Uh, and, you know, just extemporaneous conversations over the telephone or, or whatever. They know you know people don't speak as carefully as as they do when writing I mean this this very podcast is evidence of, of the same phenomenon exactly and so uh, the verge reached out they obviously spoke to Apple Apple said something that they that the verge paraphrased as you know that this is that theres slight bends are, are normal you know I have a feeling and I'm not trying to hold this against Chris Welch or the verge or anybody I have a feeling. That they didn't use the word "normal." None of the words were in quotes. I I don't have any doubt that it's not an unreasonable paraphrasing of their summary, but I really, really doubt it. the the paraphrasing that The Verge went with made Apple seem very flippant about the issue. And I don't. I, I think people who read that were rightfully whether they have a bent iP- iPad Pro or not. And we should, you know get into is this actually a major problem or not but even if you don't have a bent one it it certainly se- seems like an alarming attitude
1: yeah it's it's the it reminds me of back when Apple made its own displays and there was a certain number of dead pixels yes that, w- that were allowable yeah and it was like literally you'd get a brand new display from Apple you take it home and there'd be dead pixels and i forget exactly what the policy was it was a certain number or in a certain place or within a certain distance from one another there was a whole thing but in the end what that policy said was if we have dead pixels in a monitor you bought it's fine even if you don't <laughs> think it's fine trust us it's fine and we won't we don't consider that a defect or you know it's the it's like a um or a discoloration or other some sort of like visible flaw that the and a company says we don't consider that a a replaceable issue it's just yeah sure some of them have weird flaws and you just have to deal with it." it right it's just for a for a premium product you would think that the company's attitude should probably be if this makes you uncomfortable bring it back and we'll give you another one and if they're not saying that part of me thinks that they have too many of these (laughs) that are like this but but it's just it's weird because nobody's really saying that it it gets worse right it's part of the production process so the question is is this something that they saw in the production process and we're like meh it's fine nobody will notice because i can't believe anybody at apple would ever say nobody will notice about anything ever because everything will be noticed
0: yeah and My conversation with some people at Apple PR yesterday was along those lines of that. They they don't think this they definitely do not think this is a major issue. They I I think it's probably going to blow over. So I think this conversation is at this point. I think, it, I think it was worth having on the show to talk to you more about how Apple works and yeah, how totally. these things work than this particular issue. We shall see.
1: Kind of a time capsule. I, also would, I would also would not be surprised if the end result of this is Apple releases a statement saying if anybody gets something like this and they don't like it, we will replace it. Yeah. Like, if, and if just, if That's that, it.
0: <laughs> that would be the next level. So there is actually a, the closest thing to a statement I think so far. Somebody emailed Dan Riccio and got an email back and Mac rumors verified that it looks like it actually came from Dan Riccio and here's here's what Dan Riccio said relative to the issue you referenced regarding the new iPad Pro its unibody design meets or exceeds all of Apple's high quality standards of design and precision manufacturing we've carefully engineered it and every part of the manufacturing process is price, precisely measured and controlled our current specification for iPad Pro flatness is up to 400 microns which is even tighter than previous generations. I think that phrase is interesting. This 400 micron variance is less than half a millimeter or the width of fewer than four sheets of paper at most. And this level of flatness won't change during normal use over the lifetime of the product. Note, these slight variations do not affect the function of the device in any way. Now, I actually have a statement from Apple PR that I haven't published a daring fireball, but it is Dan Riccio obviously is aware of their their official statement because it is, it is extremely close. (laughs) But anyway, for, so the, the, the thing that Riccio is saying is that the, their tolerance for flatness on this iPad is, is better, higher, tighter, whatever you want to say better than previous generations. So however big a variance, 400 microns is, and it, the, to, to normal scale, I looked it up. Four hundred microns is point four zero point four millimeters. So is that a lot? I don't, see. I said this is the thing. I don't know. I don't know. Is that a lot? Like if you gave handed me a brand new iPad that had four hundred microns of non flatness, would I be able to? Would I pick it up and say, "Hey, this iPad is bent"? Or is that the sort of thing that like maybe my iPad is bent a few hundred microns and I don't notice it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I have been sitting here, so I have an 11 and a 12.9 iPad Pro sitting in front of me right now, and I've been looking at them. And honestly, after a while, I, I can't tell, like, I, the optical illusion. I start to see bends that I think aren't there. Um, and this has to do with your focal length, uh, you know, the, the the focus of your eyes and where the, the stripes are on them, yeah. to, like the cellular antennas, and all, all of these things kind of feed in, and then you, you kind of lose lose track. Although yeah. our our friend, Dr. Drang, uh, who is a uh, an engineer and gets this uh, stuff at a at a kind of a structural level? Did say to you today, as devices get thinner, every out of straightness becomes more noticeable. And I think there's some interesting truth in that. The idea that the the thickness mm. of the device is so much less now that any deviation out of true is more uh, is potentially more noticeable. Right. I don't know. I mean, you put these down. That's the thing about some of these visible bends that are in some of these photos on the internet. Is I look at that and I think that can't be, that can't be four tenths of a millimeter right. of bend. That's got to be more than that. That's got to be the kind of thing where Apple should be like, yeah, we're that's that's not acceptable. It shouldn't have gotten out of our factory, and we'll replace it for you.
0: Yeah, that's what I think with some of the photos. But again, I don't know. I, you know, certainly seems like it, but it is true that this is the thinnest iPad ever made. It's only five point so you know for scale 5.9 millimeters thick overall the camera bump is by my measurements with a handy dandy little digital caliber i bought this year which is like seriously can't believe i didn't buy one before because it was only like 20 bucks it's <laughs> a little over two millimeters i i have it at like 2.1 millimeters but you know one tenth of a millimeter is you know it, who knows? So we could yeah. even call it two millimeters. But th- what they're saying is an out-of-variance or within within acceptable variance and flatness is like one-fifth of the camera bump. I don't know. That sounds like it could be noticeable.
1: I don't know. On a thin product that's, that's very long, like the long side of the 12.9 model maybe. Yeah. But um, it is – yeah, this is weird. It, one of the things, I mean, talk about taking it up to like how Apple does things and that le- looking at it at that level, this reminds me of some other stuff where there's an initial reaction and then there's some investigation and then there's obviously a policy conversation that happens inside of Apple and a and then a PR conversation that happens inside of Apple and sometimes when Apple doesn't have a response, it's because they are formulating a response, right? They're figuring it out and they don't want, I remember with a couple of controversies in the past few years, I had those ongoing conversations with Apple where they're like, I don't have a statement for you yet. Yeah. Um, or I've got this statement, but it's kind of wishy-washy and yeah. you know, we'll, we'll work on the next one. Because yeah, it may be that they don't, they haven't seen as many of these. They don't know that they know what their allowed variance is, but maybe there's some place where things that are more bendy are getting out. I think what's most interesting to me is the fact that that their attitude is that this is just a cosmetic defect and that it's not like it's not going to get worse. It's not that big a deal. And that's good, right? Cuz I think it's a much bigger story if the if these things are bending in actual use and are going to break. Yeah. Because then it's a it's a major problem for everybody who bought one. But if it's just that uh, some of them are are have a cosmetic defect, probably the right thing to do though if you're Apple is to say, yes, <laughs> If you get one, bring it back and we'll get you one that isn't because that, you know, if you can notice four tenths of, of a millimeter of, of variance or or beyond, then you shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't make you look at that on your seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, thousand dollar product. Right. Like, it's just, just, we'll take it back. We want you to be happy.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that ties into this story is, and, and there's certainly a recurring theme of the last quarter of Apple products is the prices that they charge and that you have to pay. I mean, the iPad pro is a premium tablet. I mean, there's no question about it. And so the, you know, the, the a side of, of the argument is, you know, just about whether the prices are too high or are they pricing themselves, you know, pricing loyal customers out of their best products, et cetera, et cetera. The B side though, is that somebody who happily pays the price or even unhappily, <laughs> but pays it Certainly mm-hmm. has a reasonable expectation for the cost of an iPad Pro that they are going to be extremely pleased with the way that it looks as they take it out of the box.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. Right? It's All a pre- right. that comes back to it's a premium product. Apple is playing in a, uh, the premium product game here, and if you, it, it would be the same as if people discovered that sometimes the aluminum backs had weird blob blob colors on them of the wrong, like the space gray got lighter or darker in patches. And it was all patchy. And, and Apple would be like, yeah, it's fine. Like, no, it's not fine. I paid a thousand dollars for this thing. And you got blobs on the back, and I don't care that it's part of your production process, and that you've determined that this many shades of gray off of space gray is allowable, and that right. it's not going to get any worse. Right? It's uh, I paid a thousand dollars for a product that that has ugly blobs on the back, and that's not acceptable to me.
0: Yeah, it's like when you buy a car, you buy a new car, and you you pick out the car, and then you wait, and it comes, and then the guy says, you know, your car's here, and then you go, you pick it up, and then it's like you, you like walk around the car and you double check that, you know, I'd say it's a, you know, a brand new car. You walk around the car and you make sure everything is just right. And then you sign off that everything's just right. They sign off that everything's just right. And you drive off the lot and then, then, you know, stone hits your windshield or something like that. And you get a mark or, you know, park you know, you're in a parking lot and somebody dings your door, you know, that's, that's life with a new car. Um, But you know, you didn't, you didn't get it like that. Right. Right. (laughs) There wasn't a bend in the door. Like Apple can't afford like a thousand dollar iPad isn't enough to justify that you get a, let's verify that it's mint one-on-one with an Apple specialist as you buy it. And a lot of us, you know, prefer to buy mail order (laughs) rather than, you know, you know, it's a lot easier just to listen for the doorbell than to to go to the Apple store. So it doesn't quite scale to that sort of thing. And the prices aren't quite commensurate. You know, a thousand dollar iPad is a lot for a tablet, but it's not a forty thousand dollar car. But it's on that spectrum. Like if your and twenty nine dollar Chromebook <laughs> has a one millimeter bend, it's like, well, that's life with a hundred dollar plastic Chromebook.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I'm I'm going to scream bloody murder a lot less if I'm buying a. $300 product than a $1,000 product.
0: All right. Uh, here is Apple's official statement, which is very similar to what I read from Dan Riccio. It is. The new iPad Pro with its gorgeous unibody design meets or exceeds all of Apple's high quality standards of design and precision manufacturing. We've carefully engineered it and every part of the manufacturing process is precisely measured and controlled. Our current specification for iPad Pro flatness is up to 400 microns, which is even tighter than previous generations. These slight variations do not affect the function of the device in any way. So you could see Dan Riccio was (laughs) was involved, was Uh familiar with the preparation of the official comment. I found it funny that he didn't include the opening line of the new iPad Pro with its gorgeous unibody design. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> A little salesmanship there. Yeah,
0: there's, it's like, screw that. I'm not selling this thing, but I'm going to, you know, talk about the precision. Um, so it does, you know who knows though and and again I, to me the most interesting part of that is that it's a tighter tolerance than previous generations and so who knows maybe there've been whatever is going on out there in the field with these things maybe it's been going on with iPads for 10 years and nobody really noticed because until it got this thin with these exact flat sides it wasn't noticeable you know maybe that 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 really interesting trick that they've been using for years to curve the aluminum on the back disguised a significant amount of non flatness right, and nobody noticed you know?
1: right and you throw in the um the existence of a camera bump and then it's easy to uh, wave things away as saying, well, you know who can tell because there's this part that sticks out so right. I can't even tell. Yeah, it's. I mean, the idea that it's down from their previous standard <laughs> is is fascinating, right? So it's right. like it used to be more than maybe more than half a millimeter of bend in a run of aluminum. And they'd be like, "Man, yeah, it's fine," and and maybe nobody noticed. And, it, and there's just something about this model. I'm still not ent- entirely convinced that these photos that we're seeing are not items that are beyond Apple standard that somehow got yes. out there. I do and too. That, and and that apple's going to say yeah those those shouldn't be out there and if you can see it and it's that big then you should get that replaced that is a that's our failing on letting that out
0: yeah like maybe i don't know maybe uh, you would think that if it bent in transit you would notice a damaged box but like i presume that that with a lot of this stuff and and i know with certain components they certainly do you know when they check the um they've they've even bragged about it in their product marketing videos about the the way that they automate you know the precision of verifying that yes this component meets our specs with you know fancy sensors and and stuff like that i would just presume that the unibody aluminum is measured for preciseness elect you know through a, in a systematic way let's say not right just, right
1: not just the- there's actually a test it has to pass and <laughs> that presumably they're testing all of them or at least Or maybe then, maybe not, maybe they're testing samples and... Some can get through, or it wasn't calibrated right because these are very fine measurements that are happening, and some overly bent ones got through. I don't right. know. Right,
0: it's possibly because she's on my mind because she just passed away, Penny Marshall. But I, I, I think of the opening credits of Laverne and Shirley where they yes. were inspecting it's, bottles of Schlitz and it's, beer,
1: and, stick, and she sticks a glove on right. the on the on the beer and it goes through the whole right. assembly line, right, right. With, the, yeah. with her rubber glove on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's
0: just hundreds of iPads flying past two people who aren't yep. really paying attention.
1: <laughs> or it's that it's that, I love Lucy sketch right where the where they're trying to take the candy and all of that and it's just it's out of hand and uh, yeah, yeah that's it the people with the calipers are on the assembly line yeah. trying to measure the iPads it's like oh, there's too many iPads
0: and then <laughs> right, right it takes like two minutes to measure to measure it correctly, and yet they're coming by at like four per minute, <laughs> and you're just like, oh God, I'm gonna get fired oh, they're <laughs> you're, right. you're good you're good
1: it looks fine it, that one didn't bend it's fine
0: I don't know uh one thing too the other thing that's interesting when you, uh, you you know, Apple, the people at Apple PR, and I think it. I think it's a tremendous advantage that they have being a completely in-house team, you know, and I think one thing other people don't. I think that the industry has sort of moved in Apple's way, but Apple was unique in that way for a long time where most tech companies uh, used outside PR firms.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like uh, we worked with what was it, Wagner Edstrom was Microsoft's PR. Yeah.
0: Or Edelman, and, or or, a...
1: well, well, yeah. So WagEd was the PR firm for Microsoft forever right. for a long time, and then Edelman they hired eventually to do the Mac PR,
0: right? right.
1: Uh, but it was like outside PR, right? Like yeah. you, they they would be, and you'd have these uh, back when I was at, at Macworld, like you'd have these um, three-way email exchanges where it was like a weird negotiation between you and the company and the PR person, hmm. which is like. Yeah, right. Whereas with Apple, it was always my entire time dealing with Apple, there was always inside PR at Apple. Like that was that was who you dealt with. You didn't deal with outside PR.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that it's an advantage for them is it it just clarity of of uh, communication. But the other thing is that, and this has happened before. Like you know, these little mini—I don't even want to call them scandals, kerfuffles. You know, it's certainly not a scandal yet, but hubbubs, whatever you want to call them. They. Um, you know, part of the reason that they're like, we're on it, we're looking into it, wait, but they do things and they can do things like check with retail and say, is this, you know, um, are you guys seeing a, a, an unusual number of complaints of customers with new iPad pros with a bend, you know, what's going on? Like they, they, they're not just guessing, you know, they actually go and double check. Is is there like an issue that should have raised a red flag that we haven't noticed in the data of, you know, the aggregate issues coming into the Genius Bar? And I was told, no, there is, uh, you know, there's absolutely nothing unusual in their support increase regarding recent purchasers of iPad Pros.
1: Hmm.
0: So I don't know what's going on.
1: Well, the, the problem, and I say this every time there's a gate, right? The problem is that anecdotal well anecdotes, anecd- it's not even anecdotal evidence. Anecdotes posted on the internet okay. are very hard to gauge whether it's oh oh one percent, point one percent, one percent. Or 10% of products that are that are experiencing any given failure. And Apple ships so many, especially of iPhones, which is when the gates usually happen, right? The gates open when an iPhone is released. There are so many iPhones that are sold that even if it's 0.001%, there could be thousands yeah. Yeah. of of lemons that apple has produced so the it it can be it's a tough game like if you produce even a tiny number of lemons percentage wise and it's a huge product you you know there are bad phones that are getting out there so for the ipad this is one of those examples where it's like are there 10 weird bendy ipads out there and one of them happened to go to a mac rumors reader are there a thousand but only five people have noticed are there ten thousand like that I don't know. Like, there's no real way to yeah. know. And and you can react and poo-poo it and say, but it's probably not a problem. Or you can freak out and say, oh, my God, all the iPads are bent. Yeah. But the truth is, somewhere in this range that is an uncomfortably wide range of it being incredibly minor and uh, the end of the world. Right? Yeah. And, um, and it's hard to tell because the Internet magnifies. If somebody finds something wrong with an Apple product in terms of its manufacture and post it on the internet, it will get amplified, right? It will become the next uh, potential scandal.
0: Oh, you know what it is? Is that the, the internet makes something possible that would have been impossible when you and I were kids, is that it allows these people to find each other, right? So if it uh-huh. is, if there are, you know, 50 people who've received truly defective bent iPad Pros, uh, and they're like upset about it, and they start Googling 2018 iPad Pro shipped bent, <laughs> they are going to find each other. Like a, a query, you know, like you don't have to be, you know, every, everybody's kind of gotten good at Googling, right? You know? Right. And,
1: also, there're places you know you can go. Like there people go to Mac Rumors or people go to the Apple discussion forums. Like there are certain places that, right. that people, or you go. Uh, there's a lot of these things, not necessarily for Apple, but in general, come out of Reddit, right? Because right. somebody just posts in an interest group in Reddit about the product that they have a problem with, and it kind of goes goes viral. Which is the that's the trick, right? It's like if it's the right person with the bad product, and there's literally only one it still can get magnified, or if there are literally only five. Um, but there could be 10,000. Like no. you, you you, just can't tell.
0: <laughs> All right, let me take a break and thank our first sponsor. It's Linode. Now, I've been pronouncing it Linode, and I know it's a running gag on this show that I pronounce things wrong. Um, but I've been informed, not by them. They they haven't complained. Uh, but I've been informed by several people out there on the uh-huh. show that I should be pronouncing it Linode in the same way that Linux is is not Linux. Um, I'm
1: with you. I, I, I had a Linode server for like 10 years and then I got the ad copy and I discovered that somebody somebody said it's pronounced like Linux. It was actually in my ad copy for whoever well, and, was uh, like Lex Friedman or somebody put it in there and I was like, <laughs> oh, like I had no idea.
0: You know what? I'm going to make that a New Year's resolution for 2019 that I'm going to need. I need all of my ad reads spelled out phonetically. Phonetically <laughs> Let's just, just assume a, I'm going to pronounce everything wrong. It certainly looks like Linode. Uh, It certainly makes sense because of the Linux thing that it would be pronounced Linode instead. Either way, it is a tremendous hosting service. (laughs) So you can pronounce it however you want. It's L-I-N-O-D-E. And they allow you to deploy and manage an SSD server in their Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in seconds. Literally, they say like 30 seconds. You can just have a new server instance up and running with your choice of Linux distribution resources and node location they've got ten, 10 data centers worldwide so if you if the actual physical location of your data center and the ping times to other resources in a re, you know region matter to you they've they've got them spread all around the globe literally uh plans start at one gig of ram for your instance for just five dollars a month that's just tremendous. And they've got a special deal for talk show listeners. You get $20 credit with the code I'll tell you at the end. So that means you could get a server for four months with the code. It's crazy. Four months of like a top tier world-class SSD server. Um, you can configure your memory uh, as much as you want. They've got high memory plans that start at 16 gigabytes. If you need more, you can get more. Seven day money back guarantee. So if you Cough up the money, get started. Something about it makes you unhappy. You have seven days to get all of your money back. That's how confident they are, uh, and they really do. They really do allow you to get a new server instance up and running just by clicking a few buttons. It's super easy, super quick. They have a great, great interface for uh, managing all of this stuff. Just a great dashboard interface. Um, Hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans, so you won't get surprised if something happens and you're not gonna unexpectedly get a huge bill. Native SSD search, that's really important. I know that's the way the whole world's going. But you don't wanna have an important server running with a spinning hard drive. It's that's irresponsible. Go SSD all the way. Um anyway, that's that's it's it's just a great service. I pay for it. It is it is actually what I use. I would endorse them. Uh, even if they weren't sponsoring the show, that's, they're a great company with a tremendous reputation and a great support team. Uh, and they're hiring. So you can go to linode.com slash careers. If you are the sort of person who works in a field where you might work for a hosting company, uh, you know, programming, uh, network administration, that sort of thing. They're doing so well, they're hiring. So go check out linode.com slash careers if you're looking for work. Uh, and anyway, here's the deal. 20-buck credit for everybody who listens to the show by going to linode.com slash the talk show. And then the promo code, that's not quite enough. The promo code you got to remember is talk show 2018. T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W 2018. My thanks to Linode. Great sponsor. Great company. Uh, I sold t-shirts last week. I saw that. Uh, Hoodies too. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting them. It's always exciting to me. The The part where you're selling them is more, uh, I mean, it's nice. And, you, you know, like I have my little email set up to like, it's a trick I learned from Jim Kudal. Like uh, I don't know if they still do it because Field Notes has gotten so big, but Kudal had a thing set up at Field Notes so that when everybody, whenever somebody bought Field Notes, it played its, its specific sound. Uh, I think it was just <laughs> a simple mail filter, but it, it's like that sound was one thing and one thing only, which was a sale of Field Notes. Um, and so I have that set up for the T-shirts, and it's nice. You hear, oh, ding, ding! At least people are buying them, you know. But to me, the fun part is when people start getting them on Twitter and they start posting pictures of 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 wearing them or doing them. I did stickers this time for the first time. I don't know. Oh, wow! I I need to start moving faster, Jason. I I feel like 2018 is way too long. People love
1: stickers. They
0: love them. Yeah, people like pins too, apparently. But I've never done the pins.
1: I never got pins, but I started doing pins last year, and and people love pins too. So yeah, it's people, one of those things where you got to get outside yourself and say, I don't particularly do a lot of stickers or, or pins, yeah. but people love them, and and that's fine. And the t-shirts, yeah, we did, we just did our uh, a bunch of stuff for uncomfortable and relay and all that. Like everybody's doing the merch because it's the holidays and all of that. Yeah. And it is fun to see those pictures coming on Twitter, and I'm I'm jealous because I haven't gotten mine yet, so mm. I'm seeing other people with them before I get my. Uh, you know, my incomparable pin or my uh, – Mike and I did a Dongletown T-shirt this year, which is in the style of, like, the Hollister, California, you know, those kind of T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's for Dongletown. It's got a little USB-C port. And, uh, it says Port Authority on it. Which yeah, is a, oh, that's you know, good. That's mm. very funny. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting my Dongletown shirt and mystify everybody in, in my town who doesn't understand computers.
0: Dongletown Port Authority would be a, a- – a not bad name for like the store at the airport where you buy, you know, yeah, you know that store. <laughs> yeah,
1: at the at the Cupertino
0: Airport, there's a
1: Dongle Town Port Authority.
0: Right, you know, the store for you know you forgot your USB charger. Yeah.
1: Actually, oh man, we should uh, get get on trademarking that. I know that'll be the the place you go for all your adapters, or maybe it's just like a little vending machine or something for all your adapters. I realize switching to the iPad Pro. I now have, um, I already was embarrassed because I have a pair of wired headphones that I love, that I have carry around in in a little, uh, little carrying case. And, uh, I always felt bad because I had the little white lightning to headphone jack adapter in there. Hmm. And, um... Now now I also have the little white lightning to USB-C adapter in there. So I have to choose. And, and the other day I was working and I was listening to something on my uh, iPhone and then I realized I needed to hear something on my iPad instead. And I had to do like a switch mm. of the little white dongles. And I thought, boy, it's come to this. But I don't want to give up the... Uh, the the wired headphones just yet so I, I use airpods a lot but um for some stuff especially if i'm in a noisy environment and i want to block other people out there's a lady at my uh starbucks that i go to who who's there um all day and is lonely and will talk to you and i have to block her out because otherwise she'll talk to me so mm-hmm. this is my sad story but anyway i've got two dongles now in my little carrying
0: case it's great yeah you know what? that's the the main reason that i did the stickers well, A, I've been thinking about it for years, but I actually want one now myself. I made I made, uh-huh. made three-inch stickers, which seem like a standard size for circular stickers, but I also made one-inch ones. And I want the one-inch one to put on my AirPods case because now we're up to three AirPod users in the household. Yeah. And that was the breaking point of who the hell's AirPods are these. And so I'm actually – this would be like the first Apple product I can recall that I actually want to put a sticker on.
1: You know, the one that I, I, cause I am not a big sticker person. I have, uh, at some point I decided I was going to, for, for my personal kind of, because of sixcolors.com, I got, um, rainbow Apple logos mm-hmm. in the exact size of the Apple logos on like my laptop and my iPad and my iMac. And mm-hmm. I, I got those and put them on and I thought like, that's fitting, but it's literally in the space where the Apple logo already was. I'm just sort of colorizing it. Right. I've never been a, you know, slather person. Uh, stickers all over my Apple products kind of thing but this um, this folio case for the iPad Pro um, with that giant gray completely blank expanse um, I I actually have started putting stickers on it because I just can't take it. It's it's the most boring yeah. accessory Apple has ever made. And I've just decided that I need to also to help orient. Like I know which side is which because of the stickers and stuff. And it's just so that's the first one for me. I, I do have a sticker on my Air- AirPods case because we have two sets in the house and you can tell them apart. Uh, it, but it, it's yeah.
0: essential. and But that is what I thought as I thought. Well, what then I started thinking, well, what sticker? And I, I, A, because I, I'm not a sticker person, I didn't have any stickers laying around. B, most stickers are a little too big. You know, the right. AirPods case is tiny. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I, I could put my own sticker on there.
1: Yeah, little uh, – so I assume it's just the Daring Fireball star?
0: Yeah, it's just a circle that is uh, hopefully very close to the correct shade of gray with a white star in the middle. Nice. I haven't seen them in person yet. That's the, one of the weird things because the ship – the shirts ship from my longtime – partner in crime in the t-shirt racket brian jeremiah out in southern california so i had the stickers sent to him too which kind of hurt right. because i wanted to see them
1: <laughs> yeah i just did that because all of our stickers went through cotton bureau in pittsburgh and so yeah. i just had the i had all of the stickers
0: shipped yeah. to pittsburgh so i don't know like the what they are good, like <laughs> the good thing is i trust brian's eye like brian knows the sure. daring fireball brand and he's a very very accurate judge of color and you know and and things like you know are they cut right and stuff i mean sure. company i got them from a place called sticker mule i don't know I Yeah know i've anything.
1: used them i've used them absolutely um
0: uh, but they seem to have a very good reputation and uh uh was a very nice process actually setting it up
1: those places are um really designed at this point to mitigate against having you demand your money back yeah. so they like go through like a proof process and they yeah. send you the proof and i've actually been really happy with that cuz i'll sometimes i'll Oftentimes, like, three out of four uh, will be fine, and then there'll be one out of four that I'll give them a little feedback and say, that's not what I was thinking. Often, you know, 24 hours, sometimes it's like five hours. They send back a second proof, and I'm like, that's exactly it. And so they're pretty good. I'm, I've been pretty impressed.
0: Yeah, I forget what my issue was. I had a very small issue. I, you know what it was? It wasn't even that their proof—it wasn't that the proof they showed me showed any signs of defect. It was— one thing, I used to be so involved in the print world because I used to do print design and I knew you know uh, what do we used to call it? preflight? Remember we'd you'd, you'd preflight right. your Quark Express file and there was what was the, there was a great app. Oh man, preflight was it named preflight? And and what you could do is just you you, you get your Quark Express document if you had images, those images were external files somewhere else and they were referenced within the document. You know, right. it's it's not at all dissimilar to the concept of an HTML file where the image isn't actually in the HTML file. The image, you know, it's the document contains a reference to it. And what you could do with Preflight is when you were done, you just drag your cork file onto this app and it would grab everything, make a copy of it and like put it in a I was gonna say zip archive, but it was probably like a <laughs> SIT file, right? like a stuff at archive and then you'd have just one stuff at archive that you could give to the print shop and then they could right. unstuff it and everything would be there. And including like the fonts, you'd have everything you need. You'd have the mm-hmm. fonts, you'd have the images. I'm so out of the game though. I don't know how you ship stuff anymore. I don't know what is EPS, what you want. And, and sticker mule took all sorts of, fi- you know, any file you can imagine. You could send them a PDF. You could send them an EPS. You could send them, um, you know, raster files, which I know is not, you know, not the best way to do it. But I, uh, I sent SVG and I, cause I think that's the most modern way to do it. And I think it's the most precise way to specify a color, but I could, I could be wrong. Maybe I'll be inundated with feedback this week that I was Hmm. an idiot that SVG is terrible. But I got, what I did is I sent them and, and of course I'd put this off (laughs) until close to the last minute. And I think I sent them a PDF at first and then they showed me the proof and I didn't really like the color. I, I, I don't think, I don't think they did anything wrong. I just wasn't sure. And I, I know from past experience, sometimes PDF doesn't round trip that well with color. So anyway, I switched to SVG and they seemingly came out perfect. Huh. Enjoying any, any beverages as we record?
1: I I ran out of beverages. Um, the I have a like the teapot, but the teapot was drained, um, so I'm I'm tealess now. But it, you know, I may I may go get something during an ad break. It's possible.
0: I have some coffee, and I have of course some homemade fizzy water.
1: The problem with the with the tea in my house now is that um, my daughter has become a tea drinker, and mm. so that teapot gets empty uh, at unexpected times, <laughs> and then I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's too late. Like, it's like, I'm not going to make another pot of tea. It's just, it's over for, for then. Sometimes I'll go back and make another pot, but sometimes not.
0: All right. Here's, here's the, one of the main things. And it's one of my recurring themes. I can't stop thinking about it is this whole notion. Speaking of iPad pros of using an iPad pro for quote unquote work. Uh (laughs) And you fascinate me of all the other, all the people, (laughs) no, all the people in this racket, all of our friends, colleagues, uh, everybody, or, you know, even people we don't like, but who write about this stuff and have various positions all over the map on where the iPad and the iPad Pro probably in particular stand, you know, compared to the Mac as a machine for work. Um, And you fascinate me because you and I are like-minded of similar age. And, you know, we do kind of the same thing, mostly writing Mm -hmm. and reading and linking to things. Uh, We are both longtime fans of some of the same apps, like I'll just say in particular, BB edit, which just amazingly celebrated its 25th anniversary, (sighs) which is crazy. Uh, Amazing. Well, it's both crazy because that sounds like a long time for an app. Like, who thinks of apps being around for twenty five years? And then on the other hand, I can't remember. Well, I do remember before BB Edit, but it, it was, you know, I was like a sophomore in college when I first started using BB Edit, and that <laughs> feels like yeah, that's a long time ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And for me, it was a it was my first job. That the, the the there was a guy there who was like, you should use BB Edit. I was like, okay, and that was it.
0: I could be off by a year. I'm ninety nine percent sure, though it was nineteen ninety two, and I remember where I was. I was in the tower dormitory. They used to call it the new tower. That's how creatively Drexel University named named its dormitory. <laughs> uh, they've gotten a lot better at that in recent years, like because you know the way their game really works is you find some deep pocketed uh, alumni who wants oh, their yeah. name on a building. Uh, in the eighties, Drexel was. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on top of that game, and there was a dormitory called the New Tower, uh, which I and I wonder. I actually have no idea. I should look it up, but I wonder if they still call it that because it certainly isn't new anymore. It would be yeah. Too- they
1: might they might have sold the naming rights for that too. That happened when they built the yeah. new Warriors Arena in Oakland. Yeah, that they're, that they're now going to leave. It was it was the new arena for a long time before Oracle
0: paid yeah. up to get the name. Yeah, uh, I was in my friend Dave. Super, his name was Super Dave. We had Big Dave and Super Dave, Super Dave's dorm room. Super Dave ran an excellent bulletin board. That was <laughs> that was before, you know, that was how we communicated with each other.
1: I feel like we're getting older by the minute as you tell yeah. this
0: story. <laughs> uh, I even remember what model computer he had. He had a Mac. He had an excellent. He had a Mac 2CI which, as we go down memory lane, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest Macintoshes ever made. Totally. It was far outside my family's budget. But it started life when it was new as a, like a, one of the very, very top-end Mac 2s, and it remained in Apple's lineup for years to come as, as it sort of it, – it was actually – Apple didn't do this at the time. It was sort of what Apple does now is allow a formerly top-line product to work its way down the lineup. You know, the way that you can still go into an Apple store and buy like an iPhone 6S, you know, the 2CI had that sort of life. Anyway, Dave was on his Mac 2CI and I I wasn't even wanting to pay. It wasn't like, here, come here and look at this. I was like, oh my God, what's that? What is that? And he was like, oh, it's some new text editor called BB Edit, And I was like, all right, I need that. (laughs) Because I had been, there were no good text editors for the Mac and I was a computer science major. I needed a text editor. I, I was, you know, stumbling around with, I forget what, what I was using. I mean, you could use teach text at the time for text files. There were other third party programming text editors and the think packages, you know, like think Pascal had, well, actually think Pascal had a weird thing where it wasn't really a plain text editor. It was like, before, you know, was before source code coloring, but they did like sort of like what AppleScript does where they would, as you wrote the lines of code and think Pascal, it would like bold the keywords and stuff like that.
1: Hmm. Isn't that why BBEdit exists? It wasn't because Rich Siegel used or did think Pascal and he wanted to write a, a text editor for it, a decent text editor for it?
0: What I need to do, what I really need to do is get Rich on the show is what I should do and let him tell the story. But the, the basic story was it started life as proof of concept that a well-constructed, well-behaved, useful Mac text editor could be written in one source code file of think of Pascal, you know, hmm. that, that there'd just be like, I don't know what he named it. If it was like BBEdit edit dot, I don't, oh, geez, what's the, I don't even remember the file extension for Pascal anymore. Was it dot P? I have no idea. You know, but that one bbedit.p dot p file with a you know well structured wouldn't be like a bunch of spaghetti code. You could have one file and hit compile, and out would come a useful text editor. Hence bare-bones, <laughs> bare-bones text editor.
1: So it was a bar bet, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think so.
0: I think effectively it was a bar bet that he could write it in one file. Wow, it's has since grown <laughs> to more than one file, <laughs> and as long as outlived. Think Pascal to be sure, but not just as BB edit. is isn't just going strong. BB edit is, uh, it just has just came out with like a, what 12.5 is the new version with some terrific new features. Like it's not just around, it is still super actively developed
1: yeah it, it's it's funny the ones and and that's no coincidence. The ones that are still around are the ones that are actively developed. I was right. as we record this just yesterday, Federico Vitici put out his like favorite iOS apps of the year on Mac Stories and one of them is Pcalc, mm. which is also 25 years old, I believe. And it's the same story, which is, and Federico said it in his write-up, which is, you know, this is an ancient code base that was originally a college project for James Thompson. But the reason it's still around is because he aggressively embraces new apple technology and figures out ways to get it into his product and like he's not just sitting there hoping people keep using his old product and the same is true of of bb edit right like they 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 keep evolving it over the years and and if you're on the beta list which i am and you are it's like they're always pushing the the boundaries with with that app
0: 12.5 has a feature that was uh based on a request from me and i swear it was maybe like five years ago Like you know how you in the Mac OS X when you go to the help menu you can start typing a menu right. command and if there's a menu command it'll kind of highlight and tell you where it is.
1: Yeah, I love that feature. I, I tell the, I tell people about that because it's not a widely known feature and it's like the best way to figure out if an app does something is to yeah. just literally search the menus for it.
0: And as a power user, you can kind of use it to give keyboard shortcuts to ke- commands that you either don't know the shortcut to. Mm-hmm you know, just by, I think if, what is it? Shift command. Yeah. It's like, I don't know the shortcut. It's just hardwired. So shift command slash opens the help menu and you can just start typing. So my suggestion was that BB edit should do its own version of that and do it better because it knows about its things. And so there's now a, I think it's in the go menu, go command, uh, shift command U, and BB has its own built in. You can just start typing something and it'll, uh, If there's any menu that matches it, it'll be highlighted. And you can, of course, arrow down and do it. Hmm. But anyway, it's just proof to me that when you write in with a feature request or something like that, and you get the feedback from Rich or from Patrick or whoever there. uh, I should add that I worked at Barebone Software for two years. (laughs) It seems like a worthy disclosure back in around 2000. But when they, you know, they're, they're... they're never going to tell you they're, – they're very nice people <laughs> and they tr- take their – they treat their customers extremely well, um, which is probably another reason that they've survived for 25 years. Um, but if they tell you that like a feature hmm, – that is an interesting idea. They might ask more like, well, how would you use it? Why, you know, why would that be better than what's already there, such and such? They really do systematically put it away in – Somewhere where you, they may not implement it right away, like this is serious I bet this was seriously like a five year old feature request, but when it first showed up in the betas for the twelve point five cycle, I was like, "Hey, that sounds like a great feature, and I was like, "Wait, I think I asked for that <laughs> <laughs> anyway, We have very similar taste in software, etc, and I truly struggle to try to do my work only on an iPad, and I want to I think, but I worry deeply that that Maybe it's not that I can't, but that I'm too old. I don't know. What frustrates me and makes me feel like I'm, like I always, I often use this analogy. I feel like I'm wearing mittens (laughs) when I'm using an iPad and I am really used to having fine use of all 10 fingers. Um, At the other hand, that's a strength in other ways because it's the way that I can, I have, can have so much going on at the Mac at one time can be distracting, you know in a way that it's that it's not on iPad and it's a little bit I don't know mentally quieter. Yeah. I'm not big on the whole distraction free writing thing but
1: Yeah, I agree I agree. I mean that, that that can go too far but it is it is like I'm looking at my Mac right now and I'm talking to you but like I've, I've got a Slack window, I've got an iMessage window, I've got, you know, the, our, our notes, shared notes document, I've got Audio Hijack, occasionally I will get a push notification, um, I've got a dock full of items, like, there's a lot going on here, and... Uh, iOS can be distracting, but like even its multitasking is literally all you're seeing is two app windows. That's all you're seeing, yeah. and and when I'm not using like usually Safari to look things up while I'm writing, I'm just I I actually have this that uh, wacky stand that that you and I went back and forth on yeah. on Twitter, and then I think we may have talked about the last time I was on that that I can rotate that into into horizontal or vertical. So I'll put it in vertical when I'm writing and I just got a big stack of text and I'm not multitasking at all. And it's just a a giant screen. There's only one thing in it, which is my text editor. That's all I'm doing. And yeah, I could see a push notification, although I set those up to not be super annoying. I can switch to other apps if I want to take a mental break. But there is something about it being completely locked in that way. And you know, I could use my MacBook Air in full screen mode apps. I could do that. I I just never do because it's a Mac. That's not how I use the Mac, but it's always been how you have to use iOS. And so there's some, I know it's kind of a trick and it's not really true, but it's just enough. It's like quitting out of an app saying, I'm not going to check Twitter while I'm working on this story. I'm going to quit Twitter. You can always relaunch Twitter, but the act of quitting Twitter puts it just further enough away that you're like all right I can I can leave it and I'm going to I'm going to focus and and so some of that is what's going on I I wouldn't say that's the whole picture but I do think that that's a part of it is that it's just a kind of a simpler place and it's not uh it's not getting in my way And it's more flexible. That's the thing that I I also feel about it is, like, I can pop it in that that crazy bridge keyboard case and it feels like a laptop, but I can also pull it off and use it with an external keyboard or that smart keyboard folio, or I can just leave it completely, you know, unadorned and it's just a pure tablet experience, depending on what I want. And that's not something I can do with a MacBook Air. It's going to be the shape it is 100% of the time.
0: One of the things that I find... Uh, it's an obsession of mine I and mean, i've i i know I've mentioned it on the show i've i think I've tried to write about it, but maybe more in the early days of daring fireball than recently is a platform a software platform to me takes on a life of its own and has uh-huh. character it has there's you you become intimate with it and you know, just like the way that anybody, a craftsman can get really used to a particular hammer or tool, you know, or, or totally. illustrators certainly could become very attached to their pens, you know, and pencils and, and whatever, or or mm-hmm. certain types of paper. Everybody, you know, and the whole system of an OS can take on a certain character. And one of the very interesting things to me about Apple is that by the late 80s. The Mac was Apple and Apple was the Mac, you know, that, that uh-huh. as the Apple II died off, the Apple still had ambitions like that. Like the Apple of old would come out with new systems all the time, you know. I mean, and the, like the Apple II GS by the end, you know, the last Apple II certainly was a far different computer than the original Apple II. And, you know, they famously had the Newton Project in the Scully years, which was, a, a you know— a, almost a tragedy you know, and is mis for those who weren't mm-hmm. there and never used one it, it as a bad rap as as to the you know quality of it um, you know it was interesting and it was interesting and good and ahead of its time uh, yep, and very much not a pocket macintosh it had its own character it really did now you there were aspects and you know the the things that you could see that were a similar. You know, like, yeah, that's kinda Apple y, you know. Um there was certainly some Apple likeness to it that was different than Mac likeness, right? There there is like in that the Steve Jobs exile years, a comparison of the Newton to the System Seven era Macintosh would be an interesting way of discerning what Apple as a company culturally was about, right? But let's face it, for the most part, I mean, certainly financially, what kept the company alive was the Mac. Uh, and in those years, the Mac had a very strong character. I would say it was stronger than Apple's it, as a whole and was embraced by third-party developers and certainly by users. And, you know, at a t- it was a time, and Apple was weak in certain ways. And it was a time when third-party developers, big ones like Adobe and Microsoft and Macromedia, which was a separate company at the time, arguably held as much control over the platform as Apple did. I mean, and this played out in public with the switch to Mac OS 10 and the carbon and the cocoa and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, it's easy now to get used to Apple saying, uh, Oh, Hey, everything's going to 64 bit. Um, so, you know, you know and it's not like they they announce it and like 2 days later ship a version of macOS 10 where 32 bit apps don't work i mean you know they've been very clear about this at WWDC over the years but there was no discussion about it it wasn't it's not like apple <laughs> held negotiations with developers and said we're thinking about moving everything to 64 bit what do you guys think And what do you guys think the timeline should be? You know, Apple made that decision and went with it. Whereas at that time, the initial, hey, we're going to switch everything to Coco was met with. uh, No, you're not. And they had to go back to the drawing board. Um, And I just recently revisited this with uh, going back to the story of Word 6 which to me is, and I, when I reread it and really thought about it, I realized that I'd sort of filed this away in the wrong category in my mind over the years, basically word, Microsoft word was a fine and Excel too uh, were very fine Mac applications in the eighties that were, you know, if you think about it, a platform that launched in 1984 and got to version five by the mid nineties, they were obviously major versions on a very regular basis. And you know, very popular. Lots of people used it. And word five point one was it five point one A that they wound up. Five point one A
1: with? was the final <laughs> resting place of that app. Right.
0: That's like uh, I I very specifically remember the last good version of Quark Express. It was three point three two R five. I don't know. Like it's sick. I can't remember my son's friends' names, but I can remember Quark Express three point three two R five uh word five point one a was very popular it was good it looked like a mac app it you know you could certainly quibble there were certainly Microsoft isms you know <laughs> you know it wasn't it was never my choice I never really cared for it but i certainly i had like you know friends in college who used it and when I'd look at it I wouldn't think that's a weird looking app or you know it looked like a mac word processor yeah and word six was not to rehash the whole argument i'll i'll here. I'll make a note here. I'll put it in the show notes, but I just linked to it. Um, Rick, I forget his name from the Mac BU wrote a sort of history of it. Um, and basically the problem was word for windows was an entirely different code base than word for Mac. And they, that's a huge, it was a huge problem in terms of, uh, what you really want is document. The thing that really mattered is document compatibility. And if you couldn't just send a document from a Word for Windows user to a Word for Mac and have it survive with everything intact, that's a problem. And their decision for the solution was to switch to a unified code base for both apps. And basically they switched to the Windows code base. Exactly. For reasons, whatever. But what they shipped as a Mac app did not look like or act like a Mac app in any way. It looked—it wasn't a Windows app running in emulation, but it, it might as well have been you know it doesn't matter the technical reasons behind it are relevant and what happened is the users rejected it it was like this app is gross this is unacceptable we're Mm -hmm. we're not going to accept this we're going to stick with word 5.1 uh go screw yourselves
1: yeah now so you you've linked to that uh that piece by rick from microsoft a few times and I disagree with some of the things mm-hmm. in it because I was there uh, too, and <laughs> writing about Apple and working at a, a magazine that that was all about the Mac. And some of his characterizations are very much like, "Oh well, the users wanted it to be more Mac-like, which meant they they wanted it to be like the previous version, which yeah. is, is sort of implying that the users, uh, you know, didn't want change and their resistance to change was the problem. And that was so not it. I mean, right. the issue really was that in the in the and you remember this from this era. In that in that period in the 90s the Mac was dying and under heavy assault from Windows and one of the things that I, you would use a mac you would say is i want to use the mac if i'm going to choose to use the mac it's because i like the mac and what what word 6 said was here we got you word for windows and now you can use it on the mac yeah. and a mac user is like well why would i do that i would just use windows if i wanted to, word for windows i want word to be on the mac and they just uh you know i and i think the truth is and i heard this from people at microsoft that the truth was their clients were IT departments, and the IT departments didn't like the fact that the menu items and toolbars and everything were completely different on the Mac than oh, on that's the PC. Interesting. And so and the, they wanted them to be the same, so that all their support documentation could right. be the same.
0: And that it could yeah. say, "Here's how you here is how you get the company letterhead." You know, go to the file yeah. menu. In go Word, here. All right. All right.
1: It doesn't matter whether it was Mac or PC. And and that was the thing that I think, you know, if your identity is, it's not just your identity as a Mac user, but it's like, I made a choice to you to drink Coke and not Pepsi. Um, And and then Pepsi says, good news, uh, Pepsi comes in a Coke can now. It's like, no no, right. I don't. I made a choice, and now you're saying my choice is invalid. And that was that was at the root of that. Plus, it was slow and bloated and, and bad. I mean, like there was there were yeah. a lot of things wrong with it um, beyond the looks of it. But the looks of it and the way it behaved were enough to just
0: right. turn people off of it. Basically, you put your finger on exactly what I don't like. About, I mean, it's the, that he was there, and it's first person makes it worth reading. But where I disagree, and exactly what you put your finger on was that uh, what they said it wasn't Mac like, and what they meant by Mac like was five. Fight- word 5.1. And that's not true. It's that it, it, it's like what you're skipping is the issue is that being Mac like was a meaningful thing. And it was, it is, it always has been, it was from the beginning, very difficult to put your finger on. Brent Simmons years ago, oh man, back in like 2002 had a wonderful piece on how, you know, as, as somebody who clearly got what Mac-like software is, how it still is often unhelpful because your Mac-like is different than my Mac-like, even though we're wrong. And then there's lots of people who just don't get it at all. There is a thing to being Mac-like, and there was, and it was very strong. And it's literally what kept Apple alive. Because if Mac-likeness hadn't been an important thing, it would. It, it, there's no reason everybody wouldn't have switched to Windows at the time, that there is more to it. Then, okay, you've got a rectangular window and the windows all have close buttons and zoom buttons. And then there's a menu bar, you know, with the sort of, uh, you know, agreed upon set of, you know, typical things like file, edit, font, uh, and you double click on an app, you know, and there's a mouse that moves around and you can select text. And then there's a scroll bar over on the side that shows you, you, know, you can drag this up and down to scroll up and down in a document. And there you go. There's a GUI. And, you, you know, if you can use one, you can use anyone, And that's all there is to it. Um, it is true that that's the fundamental description of the modern graphical user interface of a windowing system. But there's so much more to the Mac way of doing things and of organizing things and mm-hmm. of feeling at home. I like, get such an amazing thing when you feel at home in an app you've never used before because it's yeah. uses all these familiar conventions. And there were those conventions went so much deeper than just draggable windows with a closed button and a menu bar. Uh, it, you know, there was just I, Mac ways of doing things like, do I, you,
1: I have never, and this happens to this day. I have never, I never get more irrationally angry than when I close a window on an app and it quits.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I know.
1: And and these days, you know, the Mac sometimes will do that because it's trying to save resources. And if you close a text edit window, it will be like, oh, I'm going to shut off text edit, which I still hate, but I understand what's going on there. But that was one of the defining characteristics of Mac-like versus PC-like, right, is that a Mac app, Exists and then Windows come and go as a part of its existence. And a Windows app was literally a window with things inside it. Right. And if you close the window, All the right. app is the window, so the app goes away. All and right. yet you'd get these ports from Windows uh, from from people who had no idea what the Mac was like. Where you close the window because you'd want to move on to a different project and the app would be like, great, goodbye. And this was at the time when sometimes it would take you like 30 seconds to launch an app, a really complicated professional app. Yeah. And you'd be like, no, 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 no. Oh. And I, it just uh, it's like you don't get it. Like this was made by somebody who just doesn't get it. And and you're right. Like that—that that is it's not like there's a rule book or something. But a Mac user knew that if you close that window, the app would not bail on it on you and be like goodbye and uh that was that was part of the mac was we all know how this app is going to behave when i click this box everybody knows the right way to do this and if you deviate from that everybody's going to get a little bit angry at you
0: you know it's like the way i'm just trying to broadly draw an analogy it's like you know an episode of the x-files has to feel like an episode of the x-files Even though maybe it's one of the episodes where it's about the deep multi-season conspiracy, or maybe it's just a one-off that's even a little goofy, but it still has to feel like an episode of the X Files, right? And there's there's something that you can't right. You can write a book, you know, and there can be a book, you know, and that would be like the Hig you know, the human interface guidelines. And that's a reference that somebody writing software can say, Hmm, I actually don't know how to do this. Should this be two different menu items or should it be one menu item, you know, where you can hold down a key and turn it into a different menu item. Let me see what the Higgs says, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I know TV shows have books like that, that the writers can, can consult with to, you know, let's get this right, you know? Yep. Um, But for the most part, if you don't have an intuitive sense of the overall gist of it, you're never going to get it right. You just, you know, it's gotta be something that mostly you feel it and you know it when you see it. And then, you know, every once in a while with the details, you can look it up. Um,
1: yeah, it's that you get a script for that TV show from somebody on the outside and the people who make the TV show read it and say, right. have you ever seen our TV show? Like, you don't know who the characters are or how the TV show feels. And 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 there were outlier apps on the Mac, not as much now, but certainly back in the day where it was that same feeling. Like I was uh, like NetObjects Fusion, which was a web building tool that I reviewed a, a bunch, uh, no. an early kind of WYSIWYG website builder. And it was a Windows port and like... You know, it uses little plus minuses instead of disclosure triangles. Right. Oh, if, God. if you close the window, yeah. it quit. Yeah. All of these things. And, like, a Mac user knew you could pick that out immediately. Like, right. you are the fraud here. <laughs> you are not a real Mac app. And that's just, again, it wasn't that it wasn't usable. And it wasn't that I my design sensibilities were offended. It was that I had made my choice. And I was – one of the advantages all apps had was this kind of common frame of reference, and then that app did not share it, and it was frustrating to use. Yeah.
0: The plus-minus thing versus disclosure triangles is maybe one of the great examples because I am and always have been 100% 100 convinced that the disclosure triangle visual metaphor is better. It's, it is both more attractive and more intuitive. It looks closed Mm -hmm. when it's closed. It looks open when it's open, it goes down It, 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 the, the switching from pointing to the side for closed to pointing down to be open creates the opportunity for an animation affordance that makes perfect sense. You could see the triangle flipping in a rotating thing. And maybe the, you know, in later years as animation got more prevalent in the US. You could see the contents. Of the folder or whatever go down the plus minus thing i i plus and minus make no sense in that context to me, and they they used to draw the little dotting line it just led to this crazy visual thing where they'd have all these lines all over the place that weren't necessary right all you need are the triangles and indentation right uh and you know you, you it it would transfer to things like uh outliners. Right. Like so you'd have, you know, uh, like one of Dave Weiner's outliners from the early 90s or late 80s uh, would, of course, use disclosure triangles to hide and show hierarchy of the outline, which is something maybe it's like an essay or, a, or research paper you're researching. And the way that you would close, disclose the hierarchy of that worked exactly the same as in the Finder when you were dealing with files. You know?
1: Right. I and mean, the Omni Outliner works like that to this right. day.
0: Right. Um oh, one of the words I like for it is idiomatic. And idiomatic usually is referred to like grammar, you know, and that one of the ways that you can kind of tell sometimes when somebody speaks your native language as a second language isn't that they're wrong per se is that they say things that it, nobody who's spoke it natively would ever put together. They're right. they're unfamiliar with certain idioms. Uh and you, I, 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 sometimes I wonder how, uh, how I ever got semi-decent grades in English going through school in the grammar classes. Cause I never knew the rules. I mean, I could, you know, I could, I had parts of speech I could get. And then once we got past that, it was like, forget it. I, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I, j- I just do it by ear. I've always just uh-huh. written and read by ear. Uh and, you know, making good Mac software has always been like that. They're just idioms that you use. And when you violate them, it just seems bizarre, right? Like spelling an OK button, OK, A-Y, like it's, it's <laughs> not wrong. You can look in the dictionary and, you know, there are certain publications that even in put in their style guide that the word OK is spelled out. OK, A-Y, it's a, it is in the dictionary. There are publications that prefer it. Um,
1: it, it doesn't go in a dialogue box. Uh, not right? a Mac.
0: <laughs> well, I was is... going to
1: say that the elements of, of style or a or a grammar textbook, it's kind of like the Hig for grammar. So you internalize it because you learn the language and you do it right. by absorbing it and seeing that people use it this way. And then the reason the you know learning the parts of speech and all that kind of exists is as the reference material. So if you don't know what to do, you can be like, "Well, okay, what's the, what are the rules here?" But I think mostly it's innate, right? right. That you you absorb it. Uh, by watching it in use and then you understand it. And and for computing platforms to broaden it out, like th- that is how computing platforms work is that if you're a user of a platform and you may not even know it, you may not think of yourself as a, a, a big like computer user or a smartphone user, but you know, you spend time on the iPhone or an Android phone or whatever, you absorb sort of like what the rules are and how things work. And then you get frustrated if things don't work right. right. And right is defined as, I mean, there's a reason why every app doesn't have a completely different control scheme, right? Right. Because if, if literally that's how it was in the early days of computing where every single app ran differently and you had to figure out what its commands were because every single one was different. And it's terrible, right? You want to have that common frame of reference and we all absorb that, which is why when, I mean to this day that was why I I got I I ended up in a very loud room at XOXO a couple of years ago with a designer from Google who was mad at me because I wrote a story complaining about the Google iOS apps using the Google share icon instead of the iOS share icon. And, yeah. you know, it's the most, like, who cares? But uh, but I didn't like it because as an iOS user, I, I looked at the icon and I'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. I don't know what this exploding blob means. What a, I'm, I'm looking for a little box with an arrow coming out of it. Uh, and, you know, that, I just, was, that was just, I didn't know that language because I, it was not my language.
0: I just ran into that at dinner two nights ago. Amy and I and Jonas were out and... Um, Amy wanted to send a link to a product to her sister uh, in a text message, and she searched for it. It uh, it came up with an Amazon link, and she clicked it, and because it was on her phone and she has the Amazon app, it opened in the Amazon app, not the website. Right. And um, it was the right product, but there is nowhere on that page. Amazon's iOS apps are very bad, uh, especially in this idiomatic design language, right? It is very, they're very clearly little web things that I'm I, I don't have my pixel in front of me. I'm quite certain that if I open the Amazon app on my pixel, it'll look exactly the same, but there is no, there was no little box with an arrow coming out of it. Like how to copy a link, like here it is, here's the Amazon app showing me the product. And all I want to do is I want the box with an arrow Who knows what's in the share sheet? I don't know. Maybe hopefully it'll be a you know maybe I could just go right to messages. But you know at very least there should be copy, (laughs) right? Right. And and literally I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) because it didn't stick to the idiom. There's only one and there must be some way to do it. I guess, but it, it that's something at iOS that is so in. You know, here's the thing, and you want to do something with it, you look for the box with the arrow.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. And and we could debate whether the Google icon is is better or more understandable. You could do user testing. Oh, that's fine. But the point is that if you're on iOS, there's a thing you look for. And if you're on Android, likewise, because when I wrote this, I heard from people. It's like, oh, well, you know, Apple does this wrong on Apple Music for Android. Yeah. Is that is that any better? And my answer is no, it's not better. Right. You should be a good citizen. On the platform you live on, and it's not just because I think one platform is better than the other, it's because... A platform speaks a language and people learn it, whether they know they're learning it or not, and no. then you want it to be consistent. And that's what good platform design. I know, you know, and all the app developers who listen to this are are nodding, probably, because it's a thing that they have to learn, too, which is even if you have a great idea for a better way to do it, if it's completely contrary to the way everybody else does it, it's going to be a tough sell hmm. because nobody is going to expect this behavior even if it is better (laughs) nobody expects it so you better you it better be a lot better and even then you're taking a huge risk and and you know it's not something like pull to refresh which was a kind of uh, painting in an area that was previously unpainted it's like if you're trying to go everybody does it this way and you're going to do it this different way because you think it's better even if it might be slightly better it's the wrong decision because nobody knows how to do that everybody knows the other way
0: Ref- I'm going to file a pull refresh away because that is a really good point. I've got about six threads here in my head, and I can't keep six we were, threads going.
1: We were talking about iOS at some
0: point. But I wanna f- one thing I want to finish up before we go on is I want to finish up on my point of why I think I've misfiled the saga of Word 6 for Mac in my okay. head. Is that when it happened at the time, again, I wasn't a Word user personally. Uh, so it didn't, you know, there was a certain smugness to the. Sure. this isn't my problem These poor
1: poor suckers who use microsoft word have to right. deal with this and i and i was i had to use it in my college newspaper used it and then my obviously all the manuscripts at the magazine were written in word
0: uh my college newspaper was a claris uh, house so we wanted everything in MacWrite format or and or claris works worked equally uh wow all MacWrite and claris um uh, and, you know, eventually there was one columnist who was submitting files in BBEdit text files. Hmm. But it didn't matter because he was also doing the layout of the, of the sure. paper. Um, but for years, though, I filed it away as a tragedy of this was terrible. You know, there here was an app that was a fine Mac app. And I was already at that point, you know, cared about good Mac apps. Right. And I thought this is a tragedy because here was a fine Mac app from Microsoft. And now Microsoft obviously sees this, you know, you know, saw this as fine to ship for the Mac, uh, and mostly out of danger, you know, because at the time, by that time, Microsoft's growing power in the industry was obvious. And it, you know, it was worrisome because, man, and just if this starts a trend, this is bad news, right? Like, I don't want to see this happening to apps I do use, like Photoshop, right? Like, I don't want f- some new version of Photoshop to come out and be the Word 6 of Photoshop's. Um, So for, you know, decades, I've had this filed under as a bad incident. Whereas what I realize now is it was one of the finest moments in the Mac history... Because it didn't work, and it made the reaction was so strong from users that just, and and what is a more typical? It's not Word. Microsoft Word is not an esoteric app, right? It, it was uh-huh. literally one of the most popular apps on the platform. I I would guess by headcount. I mean, maybe MacWrite had more because I guess they used to ship MacWrite for free. Mm, f-
1: by, by the point when five, Word Five was out, I would I would probably argue that it was the most commonly used. Uh, in mac a app.
0: in a professional sense it almost certainly was maybe in schools mac right was still more popular but regardless it was a mainstream app and it was rejected and it it, it it the rejection was so strong and the mac was still deemed by microsoft to be important enough to care that microsoft formed an entire business unit the mac bu i mean creatively named <laughs> hmm. but they they said okay we to to do this right, we need, you know, we need a real team, big team of Mac people who get the Mac and let's, let's do it right. And then word 98, uh, you know, again, was never really to my liking, but was a credible Mac app and, and word ended up, you know, to this day is still, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what it looks like now. It probably looks like crap just because it's, it's, leaked over time but
1: it it's it's okay um what i would say is uh, ironically enough it looks like word for windows right. which looks like word for ipad yeah <laughs> um yeah exactly. which is kind of kind of interesting i like word i like office on ipad better than i like it on the mac at this point and i think some of that may just be that uh, the Mac version feels very uh, very Windows-like to me, and the yeah. iOS version feels very iOS-like to me. But it is – I very rarely – I use Excel some. I, I have an Office 365 subscription. Word is not an app that I particularly uh, use. Yeah. Although there are people like um, – Dan Morin uh, writes his novels in Scrivener, but you know the publishing industry is entirely still based on Word. So in the last step, he does – is uh, compile his book out of Scrivener into a Word file, and then all of his editorial revisions and everything that happens in the publishing process, he's got to do in Word.
0: Oh my Ugh. God! I would just, yeah, uh, this is why I can't write a book. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but it's a, but to me that that rejection of it and and that it was still deemed so important it's a triumph. It was a triumph of the Mac at, at maybe yes. not, and again not maybe not at the peak of Apple's power, but at the peak of the Mac's. Uh, Platform integrity,
1: and they did the right thing. I mean that that is the the, the story that doesn't get told enough about Word right. Six is that Microsoft completely. Uh, reformed itself when it got that feedback. There were people inside Microsoft who obviously said, look, if we're going to be on the Mac, we need to actually be on the Mac and not have this be a symptom of us not caring about this platform. And then, you know, that was with the, you know, Bill Gates appears on the screen and they're going to do an investment and they want Apple to continue and all of that. That was all part of the same thing. And, And they did. I mean, the Mac BU ended up being, um, it, I don't know if it still is, but it was for a very long time the largest concentration of Mac developers outside of Apple. Were Microsoft, yeah, and they were building all those products on the Mac, and they were never quite Mac-like right. in the same way again. But like that first, even that first release, they in were ninety-eight or whatever.
0: They were at least trying, yeah. Like seriously, yeah, they got trying. like
1: like they got the drag and drop stuff to work right, which seems so basic, but like they were <laughs> they went into kind of like Olay Land, which was like drag right. and drop for Windows, and they had like extensions and stuff. And they like they backed out of a lot of that stuff. And then the OS ten transition, they committed to it, they were there, they did a good job. Like they got back on the on the horse after Word Six, and it's to their credit, but it's also because all the people who use that product push back.
0: Yeah. All right, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Helpfully, comes with a pronunciation. Uh, it says hello pillow," pronounced hello. But here's one. It's spelled H-U-L-L-O. Out, it, let's just forget that they're a longtime sponsor of the show, and I'm familiar with them. I don't know how else I would pronounce that. But it, here, here's one, <laughs> which I don't know if they're worried if people are calling them Hulo or something. But there's two L's, so it's obviously hello. But maybe my reputation precedes me. And, and I do have a pronunciation guide. Well, anyway, have you ever tried a buckwheat pillow? They are totally different from the fluffy soft pillows most of us are used to. Not just a different feeling. They're actually quite heavy. Honestly, it's uh, most similar to a beanbag. Years ago, when I first heard about them, sounded like a really weird idea for a pillow. But it turns out this isn't just something they invented. Buckwheat pillows have been used around the world, especially in Asian countries, for hundreds of years. Uh, this is actually a normal pillow in a lot of parts of the world, or a normal way to make a pillow. Now, it supports your head and neck the way you want it to, unlike a traditional squishy soft pillow. They allow your neck to f- fall flat into a downward bend, and which can be uncomfortable. And so hellos not just support the, the, the position you want, they also stay cool and dry compared to pillows filled with feathers or foam. Most p- pillows absorb and retain body heat, with a buckwheat pillow, tends to breathe better. Air can get through the the buckwheat husks inside. And so you don't have to flip. Like their thing is that you don't have to flip to the cool side of the pillow like in the middle of the night where you flip your pillow around because your pillow is too hot. You don't have to do that with the hollow pillow. We have had them for years. My wife and son in particular swear by them, absolutely, positively love them and genuinely complain about them not having them when we travel. They are great products. And I'll tell you what. I think it's at least, I think it's at least three years, maybe longer, uh, got to be at least three years. They last my wife's hello pillow, which she sleeps on every single night. It's the original one that they sent years ago when they first sponsored the show. So they really do last a long time and they're easily adjustable. All you do is, uh, unzip it and add more or take more out. And that's how you adjust the thickness. And it's because you can adjust the thickness and it stays, you don't need a second pillow. Like one, even if I like to, you know, if you like to be propped up a little bit, you like to be a little bit more off the bed, uh, you don't need that with a hollow pillow. One, one Hello pillow, can you can adjust it to be flatter. You can puff it up a little, prop it up against the back of the bed and be a little higher up. Really, really easy to adjust, and it'll stay the way you have it set up all night long. Hello pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The cotton case is certified organic, cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the United States. Here's their deal 60 nights you get to sleep on it. Buy one of their pillows, 60 nights, two months almost. And if hello is not for you, just send it back and they will give you a full refund. All you have to do to find out more is go to hello pillow, H U L L O pillow.com slash talk show. Hello pillow dot com slash talk show and if you try more than one pillow you will get a discount of up to 20 bucks per pillow depending on the size fast free shipping on every order and one percent of all of their profits are donated to the nature conservancy that's been true ever since uh they've been sponsoring the show that's odd just great um so my thanks to hello pillow go to hello slash the talk show find out more so here's a great example from that era that I wanted to touch on. Mac Paint was one of the original Mac apps from Apple, famously uh, made by Bill Atkinson, who invented QuickDraw and a bunch of, you know, one of the great, great, uh, more than just an engineer, an engineer and designer everything everything uh, from that era. And a lot of the concepts of Mac Paint would be very familiar to people today using apps like Acorn or uh, Pixelmator or any of the drawing apps, you know, a palette of tools, and a pencil for drawing, and an eraser, and you click on it in the palette, and then you can erase and draw, blah, blah, blah. I remember when I first saw Photoshop, and I don't know what version it was, it was maybe 2.5, maybe 2.0, I don't know, somewhere in that era. Uh, And Photoshop could obviously do a lot more than Mac Paint. And it I, I, there was nothing, I I may not know where everything was. Like I maybe I didn't know the first time how to do Gaussian blur or something like that. But when I just, you know, wanted to do something, my first guess as to how to do it was exactly obvious to me. Like, it's probably in this menu. Oh yeah. There. And you know, it, it was a super powerful app. It was like, it's amazing what this app can do. It's amazing how big the files are that it can open. It's amazing how stable it is. Uh, But, and you know, the interface was very different in Photoshop back then than it is now. It certainly was a lot more dialogue based where you'd you'd invoke a command and a modal dialogue would come up and you would enter, you know, a lot of stuff that you would do visually today with the mouse rubbing over a thing you would do by entering numeric values and cells and hitting buttons in a modal dialogue box and then seeing if you like the result. And then, if not, undoing to try something else. Yep. Just because that was, it was the, the, you know, that's how we got from there to here, you know? I mean, there just wasn't the computing power to do everything live back then. Really. I mean, that's the, the main thing. It's not like, I, I think it was obvious that it would be better to directly manipulate the images, but a lot of the stuff you would do in Photoshop would, you'd hit the close, you know, the OK button to apply it or whatever the action button name, and then you'd sit there and wait. <laughs> You know, and it would give correctly, as it should, it would give you visual feedback, maybe a progress dialogue, uh, if it was long enough, but whatever was needed to show you like, okay, you know, I'm working on it, it would be working on it, and then you'd see the result. Uh, uh, But those dialogue boxes had so much power, and had so many great features, and they were organized in a way that felt so Mac like It, it, there's no other way to describe it. It wasn't. Like they invented some new language for image editors. It was like they took what a Mac like image editor should be, a very simple app like Mac Paint, and expounded upon it.
1: Sure. But they that was an app built by native speakers, right? right. They were they were they knew the Mac in and out, the the brothers did, the Knoll yeah, brothers. Yeah. And, John, and so they John knew. John and
0: Thomas Knoll. I I can't remember John is the one who is still at John's uh, at
1: I John's at ILM. Right. I want to say. And
0: I think Thomas is still and Thomas at is Adobe. still at Adobe? Yeah. 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 I uh, think that's right. Yeah, and John even got like story credit on the uh, Star Wars uh, Rogue One. Uh, ah, exactly. Right. How's that for a life? Co-invented Photoshop pretty... and made a Star Wars movie.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty good. Pretty good. I I uh I uh was visiting ILM with our friend uh, Todd Deziri and uh and a uh, guy walked by in the cafeteria and Todd says, oh, hey, John. And he walks by and then he turns to me and he says, that was John Knoll. And I'm like, but uh. and, and he said, and I think Todd at the time said, you're one of the people who would care more about ph- that. He, he's uh, the guy who made Photoshop right. than the guy. I was like, right. you're right. Accurate. That is completely accurate. I'm more impressed that that's the guy who co-invented Photoshop than his incredibly impressive history working at ilm on star wars movies and other sci-fi movies that are yeah. touchstones of my life because he wrote photoshop right? right like oh it's huge but they knew it the, the noel brothers knew it they, they knew the mac well and so photoshop yep. i had that same experience using photoshop on the mac in college that that you know yeah you got it and this is the you know i feel like this is a roundabout way of what you're getting to is this question of like uh mac like versus ipad like and hmm. hanging over tell me how you feel about this but because we're right here at the end of 2018 I feel like twenty nineteen is going to be the year with the most tumultuous change in terms of the identity of the Mac since o s ten came out.
0: I don't know, I think that's possible uh and
1: yeah I mean it's it's yeah tell me the marzipan thing I yeah. think. I think, because you wrote about this on on Daring Fireball a bit, about like what is Mac like and what is not Mac like and how the Marsipan apps aren't Mac like. And, um, you know, I reacted to those pieces by saying to myself, I think the problem here is that Apple is going to redefine what Mac like is to be what sort of like app like is. Uh, I just get this real feeling that in 2019, what Apple's going to do is say, we now have a unified app platform, and iOS apps can run on the Mac, and maybe they're going to make other changes and sort of say, this is how we want apps to behave now. And it's going to be something that is informed by iOS mm-hmm. and, the, and the behavior of iOS in a way that is going to be more foreign to... Mac users, and especially if you're a Mac user who doesn't use iOS, and I guess those people exist, it will be, I think, maybe especially foreign. But the idea that Apple is going to sort of say, this is how we want apps to behave now. And it is a little bit like saying how an app behaves slightly different on an iPhone than on an iPad. They'll be sort of like on an iPhone and an iPad and a Mac. But I just, I feel like the marzipan thing, you can't bring iOS apps to the Mac and have them just be weird and different like the 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 platform has to have some sort of unification but i think it's most likely that what apple's going to do is say these marzipan apps are part of a new way of thinking of apps on the mac and that they're gonna kind of redefine what mac how mac apps behave as a part of this because i do think ultimately they want a single unified app platform across all their devices. It probably gives them the ability to add touch to the Mac for the first time because they'll be bringing touch first apps to the platform that actually could potentially work with touch, not necessarily in 2019, but eventually. I just I feel like this is their this is their ultimate solution, the marzipan stuff to what do we do with the Mac in a world where iOS is our most important platform? And the answer is we're not going to replace the Mac, but we might replace the Mac app platform. So that the common way we think of a Mac app is something that's built on UI kit and also runs on iOS.
0: I think that's possible. And I, it's absolute, you've absolutely nailed a area of conversation I wanted to have with you. Um, I think that what you just said is entirely possible. Um, I, I you, think say, that,
1: you say that with no enthusiasm. I do have no enthusiasm. <laughs> I have no
0: enthusiasm because what we've seen so far is is not good. Um, Uh, I I should also clarify that just, just, you know, people listen to the show probably know it, but Apple hasn't given a name to Marzipan. Like that Marzipan is something that leaked as a code name. And I know it is used internally to refer to some, you know, this, this project to get these four apps, uh, news stocks, home and And voice voice recorder. recorder. Yeah. Um, Running on the Mac um, and for all the reasons you said, and for general consensus that uh, that iOS developers of which there are many more than there are Mac developers, have largely rejected creating Mac apps because they see it as too much work and or too different. Uh, and or slightly difficult in certain ways, um, which we don't need to get into, and neither of us are really. I get, I get it at the broad strokes that AppKit is old and UIKit is newer, and a lot of the things in UIKit that are different than AppKit are things that they took the, you know, the people who used it the most and created it, you know, Forstall's iOS software team that started it next could say starting in you know 2005 or 2006, whenever they started that, that work for the app framework for the iPhone, could say, well, wait, we know AppKit intimately. What are some of the things we hate about it and would do differently if we could do it all over again? Because we're doing it all over again and we can even make changes that would break app. We can't just say these are good ideas. We should do them in AppKit too because AppKit has to keep being AppKit, right? It's just one of those things. Here's an opportunity for a clean break. Let's do it that way. Uh, and then Mac developers could look at UI kit and say, Hey, that's cool. This is so much easier in UI kit than AppKit." And then, but now we're at the point where there's probably millions of iOS developers who started with UI kit, who look at app kit, which has the old way and say, well, that seems like a lot of work. Why would I do that? Um, you know, and who maybe don't get it period. They don't get the whole Mac like thing anyway. Right, So I get it. I get that there's a market for that. I don't know, though, that what we've seen, I don't know that this project actually is that initiative. Like, there may even be an initiative along the lines of exactly what you're saying, a more unified UI kit-derived way of making apps for all platforms, including the Mac, which would be here's our new way of doing it, that is not... The thing that was used to make these four apps—I mean, maybe it sort of is—and this is just one little piece of it, but that the whole picture is so much bigger that it's not even worth thinking about, uh, or thinking about based on what we've seen so far in these four apps in Mojave. Like, I really think that it might be that shallow an effort. I've—I can't.
1: I, I, I can't. agree. I agree, and it better be right because these apps are right. kind of crappy. But it, it, it so. It, I, but I think you're right. I think there's. Uh, Mark Gurman said something at some point about how there's marzipan, but there's also like a whole bunch of other uh, efforts that they're doing in terms of ways that developers right. can build UIs and things like that. I think maybe there is a much bigger picture that we haven't seen that is not just, you know, the same tools that brought you the home app <laughs> will, right. will now be available to everyone, right? It's it's going to be a completely, you know, much bigger thing, I think, than than yeah. what
0: we've seen so far. The thing that bothers me about these apps is that they saw them as being worth shipping because it's, it's the sort of thing that the user shouldn't have to worry about. Right. Like, so for example, let's just compare and contrast with, uh, and maybe it's a bad analogy. I don't know. Cause programming languages are different than the application frameworks, but, um, uh, you know, the, Apple software development across all platforms is moving from, uh, Objective-C, which has been around since the late 80s, to a new programming language called Swift. Um, and every year, more and more of the OSs are written inside Apple and Swift than Objective-C. And the third-party apps are... New ones are often created entirely in Swift from the beginning, and old ones, as new features are added, are being written in Swift instead of Objective-C. Um, and guess what? From a user's perspective, they could have never heard of either of those things or have any idea what the difference between objective C and Swift is. And there's not, there's no visible sign of it whatsoever, which is how it should be. Right. That's it's that's developer problem. So like, like this, it, 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 it's a a, totally a developer problem. If, if it's, you know, it really, it, it is a problem. Is it problem enough problematic enough that Apple needs to make a serious effort to fix it, to get, iOS apps more easily ported to the Mac or sharing more code with the Mac or make the Mac app with the way you make a Mac app more like it. Uh, okay, fine. But then whatever the result of that problem is, it shouldn't be painfully obvious to a typical Mac user who opens the app that this app is weird.
1: Right, right. This, this goes back to all our conversations that we just had about weird windows right. apps that get ported to the Mac. It's like, if it, right. if it doesn't feel right. Like, what's wrong with this thing? Why does it... like? Or all those Java apps that we got in the 90s and early 2000s that were just totally not right. Like, something is really
0: wrong here. (laughs) You'd open them up and there would be... They they would have a Mac menu bar, but the Mac menu bar would just be like two items. Like, one of which was to quit the app. And then all of the other menu items were in a Windows-style menu bar within the window of the app. (laughs) So not only yep. was it wrong to have a Windows-style menu bar in the window, it also had a Mac menu bar <laughs> that didn't have the menu items. I mean, it was terrible. Marzipan, these marzipan apps are not that bad. I'm calling them marzipan because we need we need a name to talk about them. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: because Apple, Apple very aggressively did not name right. it at WWDC. It's just a new method of building apps that is coming in 2019.
0: Right. Um, but these apps have that. That this doesn't belong on the platform. This does weird things, uh, uh, stuff. You know that, and it's a it, it, it just feels weird for the Mac in general. But it feels really weird to be shipping as part of the system from Apple. Uh, I don't have. I'm not still not running Mojave as my main OS, so I can't look at them right here. But I mean, just off the top of my head, there's a lot of weird drag and drop problems in these apps, which is the sort of thing you sometimes expect from third party apps, but never from Apple apps. Uh, uh. You, it's like, I think it's the news app, maybe news and stocks because news and stocks are sort of the same app. It's sort of like stocks is really just a way to get Apple news about the companies that are listed in the stocks. Um, right. But it's like, if you make the window wide, it just, it, it, you can make the window as wide as you want, but the content doesn't reflow to fit it. Uh, which in and of itself, it's not like you have to, to be a good Mac app, you would have to support a, the full width of a 30 inch, iMac. But if there is a maximum width that you can flow to, that should be the maximum width of the window. (laughs) Like, like, it's, it's always been like, I'm sure you'll agree. One of the top signs of a, "Hmm, you're new to writing Mac apps, aren't you is if an app would let you make the window too small, right? Right. Like there's, you know, a good Mac app has always known, all right, you can resize the window, but here's the max that we can handle gracefully. And here's the minimum we can handle gracefully. And that's it. And when you could get an app that would make you sh- let you shrink it up as far as you want and you'd start covering up buttons and controls and stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you could just fix this and res edit. it. Uh, Marzipan apps have a lot of stuff like that. But the the way that like sidebars work, the way that there's no contextual menu items like standard ones that every single app has had since macOS 10 shipped, uh, it's just weird. The sharing thing is one of the ones I've written about. And they did fix it and I don't know if me writing about it had any effect on that. Uh, I don't want to take credit for it, but even the way they, sh- they fixed it, It's so weird. So that the, one of the problems with Apple news on Mojave is if you read it, let say there's an article from six colors in, and you read it in Apple news and you're like, this is a good story. I would like to share this. I would like to, you know, put it in an iMessage or mail it to a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, on iOS, you, you can hit the, uh, our, our good old friend from half an hour ago, the square box with the arrow, and one of the options would be like message, and you could send a message uh, on the uh, – and you could copy the URL and get a real URL. Uh, or, or no, I know what it is. iOS has a uh, open in Safari button. And so you can make the article open from Apple News in Safari and it'll take you to the sixcolors.com version of the website if you care enough that I want to make sure I'm not sending an Apple News URL. I want to send the original URL. On the Mac version, you, there was no open in Safari and there was no way to copy the link. <laughs> it was like one of the first ways I figured out to get a real URL out of it was to copy the URL. Uh, which would copy an apple.news slash whatever unique identifier URL. And then instead of using Safari, go to Chrome and paste it in there. And then it would redirect to the original website because Chrome doesn't know the magic. Hey, if it's an Apple News URL, open it in Apple News. But if you opened it in Safari, it would always take you to Safari. There was other than using Chrome or some other third-party software, there was no way to get the original URL. Like that's crazy. And very un like. It's not just limited. Anyway, I don't know. I see that stuff as a. Can it, I, I'm very worried about it, to be honest. That if, if this is actually a sign of where Apple thinks, you know, that these are fine examples of. Uh, well, the other thing I, is that in the latest version of Mojave, they added like a file share or copy Safari link button or something. I forget what they did. I don't use Mojave on a daily basis, so I forget what it was. They added a menu item that does that does give you the original URL. So there is that. Um, it might even still be in the, the beta version that's not actually shipping. So anybody out there who's looking in Mojave and looking for it while I listen to this, maybe it's not there yet. But there is a solution in the beta at least. But it is not it 's not the right solution it 's certainly not the mac like one so i 'm deeply concerned that these are like they 're either some type of prototypes that that are that effectively should have been branded as public betas that we 're shipping public betas of these four apps in Mojave. Mojave will be shipping as a non beta OS in the fall and it will include four public betas of these apps. Uh, which they did not say. These apps are not branded as public betas. Right. They are branded as the Mac version of home and news and whatever. Um, I'm deeply concerned. Like If the mistake is that they should have been called public betas and they didn't want to call them public betas, but they've got much better ideas for where they're going with this stuff. Well, then I can't wait. You know, I look forward to hearing about those ideas. If these are actually indicative of where Apple thinks Mac apps, like what makes a reasonable Mac app from Apple, then I'm I've maybe never been more concerned about the future of the platform.
1: Yeah, that's that's the mystery, isn't it? Is did they think these these were okay, or are they just trying to because the advantage of shipping them is especially for news uh, news is a news is an important platform for them it's an important yes. thing for them to do home right having home kit support is important to Apple. i get why you want to get those in mojave so you can say finally the mac can do these things i've been i was complaining about no home kit support in the mac yep. for the last couple of years right so great um it was like when the right. mac
0: it was like when the mac didn't have siri for years right
1: yeah exactly and it's like you know okay so now now we can do that and and the, i i get it but there is i do think it's an interesting question why they didn't given how apple has really become much more open to branding things as beta uh, shipping beta things in their operating systems for a while now to not have branded these as a a beta or something because i get i hear just like you do i'm sure from people when you criticize these apps who say but you know it's just a they're just trying it out it's just new and it's like yeah but they shipped it in the shipping version of the software it's yeah. not a beta it's the final version of these apps that ships with the os so right. they obviously have some degree of confidence because they they didn't slap that label on it and that goes back to your i think concern about the platform which is does apple think that the marzipan apps are are uh, good enough and i i mean i i'm sure they don't but the question is do they think that they're you know, close, or do they think that they're a completely transitional thing that the was the only way they were going to get in Mojave, uh, but they know that that's not the total solution that's going to come in 2019, and that's what I kind of assume. But you know, it is I, I, although I I remain optimistic that Apple is going to an interesting place here that could be good for the Mac and good for Apple's platforms overall. You know, every transition like this is fraught with peril. And if you're a a Mac user, there definitely is a scenario here where in order to get the iOS stuff over on the Mac, the Mac kind of gets messed up. And yeah. that that's definitely a possibility. And, and there are probably people inside Apple who's opinion is basically look the mac is a legacy platform the old apps aren't going away but if anybody else wants to use this thing any computer shaped computers from us in the future we got to have the app store apps on there so we're going to just do this and the people who care about the mac as it was 10 years ago can complain but we you know we we don't care i i don't think i think maybe they don't have the upper hand because i think that Roundtable that you went to right. <laughs> suggests that maybe right. the Mac ha- attitude has changed at Apple and they've kind of reinvigorated themselves in terms of letting the Mac be the Mac. So that's what li- that's part of what makes me optimistic here is that I think this is Apple's solution to keep the Mac relevant in a- instead of what they might have been planning before, which was to j- just let it sort of float along on its own until everybody who used it. Uh, stopped buying computers or died. <laughs> right? Right. So I I'm, I choose to be optimistic about this because of the about face they've done on the Mac and so many other areas the last year and a half.
0: One of the things that uh, Apple and Next in particular, the next half of Apple, really took a tremendous pride in and, and was their really for next their claim to fame was the ease with which they allowed rich applications to be created compared to what had come before um which we now know as coco you know that that with the and project builder which is now xcode you know and interface builder um that you could drag and drop your interface in interface builder and set constraints with you know tools that were a lot like the tools in drawing apps, you know, with, you know, here's how you set the bounds of a rectangle and you can set the style for a label, text label and stuff. And, uh, and that you've got all these things that were built in, like here's a rich text editing field. So if you want rich text in your app, like, like uh,
1: text edit, simple text te- edit. it was teach text, then it was simple text, now it's text right. edit. Now yeah,
0: it's text edit. Geez, I forgot text edit's name. Right, but you can get the full power of text edit in any app just by dragging the control out. You know, and this was, it wasn't like this on the Mac or Windows. And you know, people could make people could write custom apps or new apps in in on the next step system with a lot less work and a lot less time. Um uh, and they've you know, and, and it was a big part of the eventual success of Mac OS ten is that it was a great it wasn't just a good platform it was a great platform that really enabled small teams of developers to build really powerful apps and we see that to this day right where there are apps like um you know acorn is from a friend you know my friend gus mueller is you know he runs the company with his wife and gus is the only developer and it's a super powerful image editor (laughs) and He's one person. He's very good, but it's, you know, it would be really, really difficult to do that uh, on another platform because there's so much stuff built into Mac OS X that, uh, that he can rely on Apple's color management and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really big difference from the classic Mac era. Like, there was lots of stuff I still love about the classic Mac era, but there weren't going to be a one-man alternative to Photoshop you know, it's it, it just wasn't possible because there wasn't exactly. enough built into the system. So anyway, Apple's – all this is to say is Apple has prided itself not on being a good platform for users, but that it's a great platform for developers just insofar as are the tools good and are the frameworks good. Uh, and, you know, the state of the art always moves forward, right? So my hope would be is both for their internal use inside Apple and – for third party developers writing for their products that they are, they've got grand plans inside for where's the next way we take this. So it's not just not even just here's how Mac apps can be made more easily by iOS developers, but how can I, how can the whole state of the art for iOS development be taken to a new level for a new decade? Right. Um, uh, so my hope is that their plans are grand like that. These four marzipan apps are not the work of that project. They may be the work of one tiny leg of a many-legged stool of that project, but these are, this is not that. There's just, it's, there's just no sign of it.
1: Yeah, well, these are also. I, I think they viewed this all as low hanging fruit. Like these are all single window apps, right? So there's obviously yeah, but gotta they be shouldn't be. That's tech, part of but... what
0: sucks about them is they shouldn't be yeah. single window apps. Why it's in true. the world should Voice Recorder be a single window app? Why? Why is Apple News a single window app on the map? Why can't I double click an article yeah. to open it in a window? Because I want to. I want to keep You're not reading. Wrong. You're not wrong. I want to keep reading new articles. And b- the
1: answer but... is that they they haven't either. They haven't done that yet, or the part that they did, they can't release yet because it's part of a bigger something. But right, you're right.
0: You're right. It's insane that Apple News is a single window app. I mean, maybe Home makes sense as a single window app, but certainly not Apple News. It's ridiculous. It, it, it's really hard to believe. Uh, the, <laughs> I, I, I don't find it hard to believe that somebody made it. I don't find it hard to believe that there's there are people at Apple whose experience is so thoroughly on the iOS side of things and they don't maybe weren't Mac users before that they would... Think, you know, as a proof of concept, hey, look, I do have – and as a proof of concept, it certainly is interesting, right? It's certainly worth looking – if if you didn't know about the project and somebody came up to you and you're a manager at Apple and um, somebody said, hey, I got Apple News running on the Mac and they showed you what, what they have right now, this, this in, in Mojave, you would certainly say, let's you know, I would, I would say, let's have a meeting. This looks interesting, right? Let's see who, who should be in a meeting. Let's, let's talk about this. Cause you've got something here, right? You don't have something shippable, <laughs> but you have a very interesting proof of concept. I find it crazy that that went all the way through to, this is a major part, you know, or not major, but this is, and mentionable in the keynote part of Mojave without somebody uh, in a position of authority saying you can't ship this app without support for multiple windows or opening articles in windows. I mean, that's it's just crazy. I mean, I, you know, maybe there's, no, there's no, again, it's not a written rule. There's no line in the HIG that says that a news app has to be able to open articles in multiple windows, but it, I think- it's, it's almost because you didn't have to write it. That's the whole point I- of a Mac.
1: I think the answer is probably that somebody had to make the decision, which is worse, another year where the Mac doesn't support Apple News and HomeKit, or it supports it with apps that aren't quite up to our standards. And they made the decision that it was more important. It's funny, too, because they didn't need to release these apps. And I wonder sometimes about why they did that, because the... So they're like, okay, well, we can get HomeKit on the Mac, but what it's going to take is it's going to take us to use this translation layer to do it. And it's not going to be a great app, but it'll work. And But you know that the moment we ship this, the first beta, everybody's going to take it apart and realize we have a translation layer. Right. And they're going to freak out. So hmm. if we do this, we're going to have to say something hmm. because we need, to, we need to set expectations. Because and- that's the other thing about this is these four apps <laughs> – these four apps – required them to have those slides where they talked about how this was something that they were going to do in a year. Cuz right. and, and I feel like that was the imprint of Steve Trouton Smith on the WWDC keynote. It's like Apple can't just ship that news app and then go Nobody knows the truth, which is that it's actually the iOS version, right. because like within hours, Steve Trout and Smith would pull it apart and say, oh, this is a whole system. Here's how it works. Here's this. Right. So they had to say something about oh. it or or they could have not shipped the apps, foregone those features in Mojave yeah. and uh, just told just said, oh, we don't know what Mark Gurman's talking about. We have no idea.
0: It's an interesting theory. And I don't know. Again, I I really need to start using Mojave on a daily basis more just to. To be able to to form and conceal congeal my my opinion on this, but it's possible from what I've seen that maybe Home was the one that drove it because Home is the one that they kind of needed, right? Like you didn't have you couldn't get your Apple News on your on your Mac, but it was easy. If you were on your iPad or phone and you got, or your watch even, and you got the alert, if you wanted to read that story on your Mac, you could get it. It would just open in Safari, right? Every, as far as I know, part of the rules of Apple news is that every single article in Apple news is represented by an article on the publisher's website. I don't think there's, I I don't, if I'm wrong, I'd love to know, but I don't think it's true. I don't think it's, there is such a thing. Um, so, you know, you weren't missing out on the news, whereas you are missing out on being able to manage your HomeKit stuff. And, uh, you know, we probably won't have time to talk about it, me and you on this show, or at least not in depth. But I th- I think one of the interesting things for 2019 is I think Apple's HomeKit stuff is really starting to pay off. I think I think they were behind Amazon and the other companies for a while, um, you know, based on their security stuff and the 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 way they tried to leverage their mFI influence and and had more control and therefore everything went slower because amazon's is sort of a wild west of you know here's our stuff you know ship whatever you want yeah um but in my personal experience apple's home stuff is works better uh than amazon's and i yeah uh, i' I've,
1: I've I've gone from having a whole bunch of wild west stuff to Wanting everything to be in HomeKit and yeah. using the Home app all the time, and yep. and I I now run on my on my Mac Mini server that I've got. I'm running this uh, command line utility called Homebridge. Oh, really? Is basically, a it's a it's a software bridge for HomeKit for non HomeKit compatible apps and. Uh, once I set it up, which you know it's you gotta you got a bunch of config files and you got to do a bunch of stuff and import plugins for the various devices you've got, but all of my non HomeKit compatible devices are now in HomeKit oh. because of that, and so now you know the jig is up. <laughs> like the, now I'm I'm basically all only using the Home app yeah. to control my stuff, and
0: and Ooh. it's good. Yeah, it's, well, and and that's the one that was a real. The obvious gaping hole on the Mac is yeah, if, I, if you're going to throw yourself into the Apple ecosystem and you're a good Apple customer and you've got a phone and a Mac and maybe an iPad and you're buying, you know, maybe you got Apple TV and you're buying HomeKit compatible appliances, it seems crazy that you couldn't use your Mac to manage it. And so yeah. I wonder about that. Yeah. I wonder if that I, – I mean this is absolutely not – this is just based on your speculation. But boy, that, that certainly is an interesting theory. I mean it's just a spitball, but – It certainly is interesting that they wanted to ship home. That was the easiest way to get it. It's probably the one that it seems the least weird. It it doesn't seem particularly Mac like. It's certainly insane to me that the dialog boxes are iOS dialog boxes. Oh,
1: the when you set a schedule and you have to turn the little <laughs> yeah, iOS right. tumbler, that is the worst. <laughs> right, that's it like is... a, I, I was convinced they were going to fix that by the time Mojave left beta. I really and they was, never did. I
0: really was too, because it's a control that it, it, it doesn't really make. <laughs> It's, it's, You're not it, on a touchscreen. It makes no sense. It makes no sense without a touchscreen. It is absolutely insane that the, to set the schedule, you get a date picker like iOS. It is crazy. I mean, and in terms of if they had shipped that app, you wouldn't have even needed Stephen Trouton Smith or Guillaume Rambo to take it apart before you knew that it was an iOS app running on a Mac.
1: Right. If you if you click in the right places, it's very very clear from the beginning uh, what it is. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it was. But also- I would,
0: i would sit at my mac i
1: got light i got the light next to my desk is a home on a home kit switch right. and i would have those moments where i'd be like oh i need to turn on the light it's getting dark i need to go get my iphone <laughs> like yeah. my mac can't do this i have to go get and that that sucked it's better with mojave there's no doubt about it even if the app is stupid
0: yeah well that's an interesting theory all right let me thank my third sponsor uh we're going long on time here. And it's our good friends. Very good friends. And I mean that genuinely, sincerely, because they sponsored my show for a long time. And they sponsor it very frequently. It's our good friends at Squarespace. You've heard of them. If you've listened to this show before, You've almost it's almost impossible that you haven't at least caught one episode that they've sponsored. Uh, but they keep sponsoring. Because guess what? People keep signing up with code. Uh, they've got the data to back it up. Um, and I think what happens is, what are the odds that you... Joe or Jane, average listener of the talk show in late December 2018, need a new website right now? Yeah, probably pretty low. But what are the odds you're going to need a, a new website sometime next year? Eh, probably a lot higher. And I think they keep sponsoring the show because it's filed away in your head that, hey, Gruber keeps saying if I need a website, I should try it at Squarespace first. And people do it. And it's true. And they get a web, like, wow, that was a lot easier. Then I thought, and these prices are great. uh, I guess I'm done. Uh, It really is that easy. And I really think that's the key thing about, you know, you might go buy a pillow today because you maybe need a new pillow, but you may not need a website right now. But when you do, you build it at Squarespace, uh, file it away in your head that that's where you should try it first. Everything is in the Squarespace system. It is, you just go there, you sign up and you do your design in the browser window you do the customization in the browser window. You get your analytics right there on the Squarespace system and they have great analytics. It is truly one of my favorite things about Squarespace uh, because I find almost every analytics package for like, you know, what's your traffic, where's it coming from, what what's popular on your website. I find it to be the most baffling. It looks like an airplane cockpit type thing. Like I have no idea how anybody could ever use it. You look at Squarespaces, and it is like so clean, so well designed, so tuftian almost in its clarity of presentation. Really, really, one of the great things. They have great customer support. They have great technology. Their websites are rock solid. Uh, all of the templates you can use to choose from are super well designed. They all scale perfectly from giant screens all the way down to cell phones. Uh, and if you sign up for a whole year, you can get a free domain name registration. So where do you go? Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. the just squarespace.com slash talk show. And when you sign up, you get free, you get a free trial to start out make sure everything works. When you go to sign up, just remember that code talk show. Same thing as the URL. Know the, and you get 10% off your first purchase. My thanks to Squarespace as the final sponsor of this episode. Uh, what else? We got to talk about keyboards because you can't come on the show and we don't talk about keyboards.
1: I know, right? And baseball season is over. So, yeah, baseball season uh, so is keep, over. It's keyboard season, I guess.
0: You know what? Can I tell you, just tell you one thing about baseball? Okay, let's do it. I love the MLB app. I do. I have the alerts turned Same. on. And, but I, I know we've talked about this before too. I do move it off my first home screen in, in the, in the off season. Sure. It's over on the home screen too, but I still get the news alerts, but in this off season, I would say nine out of 10 of the stories are conjecture about trades or free agent signings. Like who might Manny Machado go to? I don't want to read any of those stories. I wish – and I i don't know how this could be configured in preferences, but I want i want to hear about every news. Anything that seems like a significant signing from any baseball team, I would like to hear about it. I don't want to read any of the speculation. But nine out of the ten alerts are for the speculation. And then I ignore right. them. And then I find out like uh, three days after it happens that the Yankees re-signed Jay Happ. I'm like, what do you mean they resigned J. hap I thought he was leaving. And it's like, well, how did I miss that? I re- I have the alerts, but it's because yeah, I've I've trained myself to ignore them.
1: So it it should be on their list. Like they have uh, very little granularity in their notification yeah. setting. I'm looking at it right now. Basically, there's a, a you could do individual team, and then there's um then there's news on and off for individual teams or for general MLB news. And one of the things that um I feel like in this era of iOS 12 and having um control over your notifications, that Apple needs to even uh, push even more to app developers, especially like leading app developers like the MLB app. This is always one of the highlighted apps. They have a great relationship with Apple. Um, They need more granularity in their push notifications for content than they have. Um, I actually experienced this. I actually sent a bug report to the Washington Post because I had their, this was last year, I had their uh, news alerts turned on. And they started sending me news alerts that were things like feature stories or, uh, you know, crossword puzzles or whatever, like things that are not news. alerts. (laughs) And and, and I I sent them a bug report and I said, you guys need to separate your promotional story pushes from your news breaking news headlines, because if you don't, I'm just going to turn off notifications because I I, you know, yes, if somebody famous dies and you want to send out a push. I will. I want to see that. You can depress me. I, I get those. There's a point last year over the holidays, actually, where like I got two push notifications a day from the Washington Post, and they were the most depressing things. But it's like I signed up for it. It's fine. But what I don't want is we also have recipes for for Christmas Eve. It's like right. if people want that, that's great. If they want right. to get the feature story headlines, and I think the New York Times and Washington Post both do this now, where you can say, "Do you want featured stories?" Or do you just want breaking news? And that's what MLB needs. It yeah. needs like news is needs to be broken up into like news that happens, yeah, and then like other stories right. because those rumor roundups are not news. Per se, I mean, I, I guess they can be qualified as that. But I get what you're saying: is that yeah. they, they, um, all push notification apps should have more granularity. The problem is that most of them are like, well, yeah, but really, <laughs> we use this to feed them that, and we want them in the same, yeah, in the in the same pipe. But as a user, I, I want to be able to turn that off because I don't want the recipe push notifications. I just want the the headlines.
0: The post does a good job. I feel like I, I've, the two news organizations I have that are allowed to send me. Um. Uh, well, three actually. I should. It's three organizations. The three things that send me news are the New York Times, the Washington Post. I pay for subscriptions to both. Yep. And Apple News, and Apple News is the one that annoys me the least. And I know there was a feature story recently about the editorial team that they've assembled there. Like, it's a really big editorial team. Uh, and of course, there was like somebody who was like a managing editor who. <laughs> who asked not to be named. It was like only at Apple would somebody be the managing editor of a news publication and not want their name used <laughs> like just because they don't want it. They just don't want their name. It wasn't because he, he, he or she had like a quote that was damning. It was like, I just, I want to work in secrecy. <laughs> Cause I'm at Apple. Yeah. Uh, the Times is the one that lately has been leaking, to me at least, a lot more like, why the fuck are you giving me a, an alert for this? I don't, I, I don't want to hear about what's new in gingerbread man frosting in <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. So the Post, and I'm not taking credit for this, but but at, at some point after I complained about this, they actually did do this. The Post's push alert settings are breaking news, editor's picks, hmm. pol- and then politics opinion, war- they, the the, the yeah. sections. And they've separated... Editor's picks and breaking news, and they actually say the frequency, you know, mm-hmm. expect a few daily, expect a few weekly. But this is the thing where I was able to turn off the editor's picks, which means that I'm not getting those feature story things, yeah. which if I open the app, I'll see your feature stories, but I don't want to get the push notification. And that's the right way to do it.
0: Yeah. Hey, did you see the story while we're talking about it? Did you see this, the the controversy, mini controversy that erupted last week where Apple sent out some promotional push notifications for a new episode of Cark. Carpool Karaoke.
1: I, I did see that. I did uh, see that. But by the way, the Times also has a breaking news top stories thing. Yeah. So you can you can I think I got to adjust
0: that. I got to get into yeah, there and yeah, adjust do it. it.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, people hate that because uh, technically in the guidelines, there are certain push notifications you're not supposed to send. But, you know, my, my, I didn't please anybody by saying I don't think it's a big deal because if they're pushing Apple Music subscribers about a new piece of content that's available to Apple Music subscribers, like Netflix does that to me all the time where they're like, "Oh, here's a new show for you." Um and I, I should yeah. turn that notification off cuz it's never valuable. But it, that's that's reasonable.
0: It's for Netf- Netflix, for me, it is often not valuable, but it's infrequent enough that I don't mind. You know, like I know that there are some purists out there who really don't want any notif- one I didn't want this notification it really is like a grain of sand in their eye, you know, like, you know, that they keep their notifications very neat and orderly. My notifications are more like the pile of, you know, junk mail and not, I, I shouldn't say that. but I get way more notifications than I read. But with the, the, the iOS 11, or was it only recently with 12, 12, 12. So it's that recent. I've become so used to it that I'm, I'm fine with it. Dieter bone. And I talked about this in a recent episode where, you know, he still prefers the Google style, but the Google style to me drives me nuts because it doesn't show me enough information, but um, but the way that I could have 20 notifications from at bat and they show up in one stack in the list, it doesn't look like they're badgering me cause it's all neatly organized and it's only, I only have to scroll past the most recent one if I want. Uh, anyway, the, the Apple news one. It's, or not Apple News, the Apple Carpool Karaoke one. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people went nuts for it. It's weird because, and it's also weird because Carpool Karaoke isn't something Apple even sells. Like, you just get it for free. Like, it's just a show.
1: Well, it's part of your Apple Music subscription, I think, is... Oh, you have to have Apple works. Music. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, I now? think so. So, you, think all so.
0: right. So, you do have to have Apple Music. But then you only yeah, got that. You only got that notification if you have Apple Music.
1: I think that's the idea, right. and, and and that seems less offensive to me. But I, I think the answer is people don't like carpool karaoke. It's a representative of like the old Apple TV culture before they hired right. the the new TV people. It's a video show in a music service. It is music related, but it is a video show in a music service. So a lot of people feel it's kind of off brand, and and uh, then there are a lot of. Nerds who are angry because they feel like this is Apple abusing their um, their privilege right. in a way that third-party developers aren't. I get yeah. all the reasons, but to me, right. I kind of gave it a shrug
0: like, and turn off your turn off your notifications for Apple Music, for Pete's sake. <laughs> well, and, and there's actually a, one of three that you can turn off to stop getting those. Like, you can still, you know, you, you don't have to turn off all of them. You can still get notified for other things you might want that aren't just promotional things. But I, well, there you go. I do think there's something particular about Apple using its position to do this that is a right. bad it, look. Like, it's a
1: default app, and those notifications are turned on by default, whereas right. a third-party app would have to ask you for notification yeah. power.
0: So it's like yeah. you did somehow technically opt into it, or maybe, But yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, but not really. Like is, I don't think when you launch Apple Music for the first time, it's, or the Music right. app, it, it says, would you like us to notify you? It's like, yes, we are going to notify you. We are Apple. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and it all falls under, I mean, the primary example of it uh, is is the uh the u two album <laughs> right sure the you know we're we've worked out a deal with U2, u two u u two and guess what you're already getting the album it's being sent to your devices right now, and people really did not like that for good reason like I kinda do see how that one got approved because I kind of mm-hmm. see how it was like. You know, they're a huge band. Lots of people do like them. I'm sure many, many, many people appreciated getting the free album. And they just didn't think to say anything publicly about it because they're like, cool, free album. Whereas the people who did not appreciate the free album and had it forced on them found it offensive. And, I, you know, there's a certain tone deafness. I could see how they were tone deaf to that. Thinking... Well,
1: they were they were excited, like, "Hey, everybody gets a free album, isn't that great?" And didn't think about that that people viewed that as their personal space right. that was being cluttered by a corporate right. synergy thing, right? right. And and that pushes push notifications are like that. I mean, I you're watching a movie or you're, you're doing something on your personal device and a little bubble pops up. And if it's something that is super intrusive and not at all relevant to you, of course you're going to be turned off by that. So yeah. if I got that carpool karaoke notification, I would have felt the same way.
0: Uh, I, the one I got, I've seen at least two screenshots of the carpool karaoke one. I got it. My wife did not. Uh, I don't think my son did either. Maybe it's cause I'm the one who's subscribed to Apple music. It might be, um, even though we share it with the family. But the one I got, it said like, new episode of Carpool Karaoke, FT period, Jason Sudeikis and the Muppets. Mm -hmm. And it took me... It took me like – that. the part that annoyed me about it wasn't that I got the notification. It was that I couldn't understand what Fort Jason Sudeikis is. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I was like, what the hell does this even mean?
1: It's like when a when – a, uh, that's, that's music lingo, right? For when a, somebody guests on a track and they do the uh, featuring See, I way. didn't know
0: that. I didn't even know that was music lingo. I was like this uh-huh. – I didn't even know that that's a word. I've never seen that word abbreviated before or at least not in a context where I didn't understand it. Like why not write out the word featuring? I spent a long time thinking about what Fort Jason was. (laughs) It's It's where we all live. That's where you live, at least. All the Jasons. All right. One more serious conversation. I I can't let you go. I know we've stretched this on, and it's the holiday season and whatever. But I want to mention something. Because if I don't, I'm I'm never going to forgive myself. Because it it ties into so much of what we talked about. With that whole Mac-likeness thing and the way that Photoshop – could be created in a Mac-like way even though it was going so much deeper than Apple's own system type apps did. Here's my frustration with the iPad, or one of of my frustrations with the iPad. I don't think there is such clarity as to what makes a good blank app on iOS. Like, I look at the writing apps, or let's just say the Markdown writing apps, which is crazily enough to me like literally a category Mm -hmm. and they're all over the map yeah they're all over the map in terms of what they do how they do it and and missing features i don't want to slag anybody but uh, there was one i just tried that looked interesting and i tried it and i downloaded it and i swear to god the first thing i tried was command f to see how that how do they do find Because this seems like an unsolved problem on iOS. And guess what? It did nothing. (laughs) There is no find. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I get it. You know, like uh, Vesper didn't have, it sort of had search, but it didn't have search within a note, right? Like, not Command F search. You know, you could search for your list of notes to find string, of course. And I'm sure this app supported something like that in the source list. But that's a notes app, not a. A text editor right for like writing articles like you can't have an article you can't have a thing that's meant for serious writing where you can't search in the article
1: yeah it's a um it's definitely a problem i think one of the reasons there are so many markdown apps is that it's easier to do a plain text editor than a style text editor to be honest Mm -hmm. and so that they're like oh well this is great markdown text editor file access we're done um, maybe, maybe you got, and not all of them are like that. There are a lot that are much more sophisticated than that, but I feel like the, that's one of the reasons that people said, oh, I can make one of those. And then you're right. Like all the other features are hard and some of them, I forget whether it's, is it, so I use One Writer for the most part and I think it's search is implemented. I'm not sure whether it's search. There's, there's an app I've used for Markdown where the search is implemented basically as a plugin. Uh, because it's got a macro language behind it, and I can't remember wh- whether it's one writer or editorial. And I always thought that was one of the most bizarre things that you would not consider a part of your core app to do search, and instead would have it be like an add-on macro that does search. Because, like, it is it seems so fundamental to it. And that's the stuff I miss the most. I got to be honest, the mo- stuff I miss the most on iOS when I am writing is stuff like uh, like uh, grep, like you know, search and replace with pattern matching if I want it. Uh, that stuff is a lot harder to come by. There are apps that do it, but they all they all have other issues. Like, um, you know, Drafts does a bunch of stuff. Uh, Ulysses does a bunch of stuff with Markdown. But um, th- I don't like its approach because it sort of translates the Markdown into more of a word processor-like kind of object thing where you can't see the link, which I don't like because I want to see right. the link. So it's just, you know, it's one of those things where whenever I write about um, writing about this stuff, uh, writing about writing on iOS, I have to have to put in all these caveats. I have to say the app I'm using now is, and part of that is that for a while the app I was using was Editorial, and now it's One Writer, and, and 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 I'm just not that invested in One Writer. Like it's okay, it works with my workflow. It, it you can point it at a particular folder in Dropbox where which I've set to be where I, I use default folder on the Mac to make that my default for BB Edit. All of my files that I'm working on go in that folder, uh, and I can see them in both places. And because it's all text, that's great. But do I love One Writer? Do I think it solves all of these problems? It absolutely doesn't. There isn't, you know. And and if somebody came up with one tomorrow, if Federico Vitici tomorrow emailed me and said, "Did you see this text editor?" I would absolutely buy it and download it and try it. And if it was better, I would throw the current app I'm using to the curb immediately. Like I, there's no loyalty here because none of them are good enough to have built up loyalty.
0: And I do, I think part of the problem is Apple's shoulders is that I don't think Apple has well-defined enough just what it means to be a good uh, uh, iPad app. I really do. And, and just in a, I know it when I see it kind of way.
1: You know, I, that's one of my hopes for 2019. When I talk about this idea of the unified app platform that might be coming, I mean, part of my hope as an iPad user is that they are going to do the work to define what apps should do on large screen devices, including iPads and Mac laptops. Because, right, two-thirds to three-quarters of the Macs that are sold are laptops. So basically, uh, 100% of the iPads are between oh, uh, or, or well, you know, are between nine and thir- and thirteen inches right. right in that in that range if we if we include the smaller iPads, I mean, I guess other than the iPad mini, which is maybe coming back, but most ipads are are you know, in the nine to thirteen space, and all or what three quarters of max sold are between twelve and fifteen inch displays. They're all kind of in the same ballpark, and what I'd like is for part of this. Unified approach to apps to be not not stuff that just is like, how do we make iOS apps feel like Mac apps on the Mac, but also like, how do we make iPad apps feel more unified and functional and can iPad apps pick up some of the uh, some of the attributes of Mac apps, because the problems I mean, the, the devices are different, but the problems and the screen sizes are not that different. And and so um, I've talked to Federico about this and to Mike Hurley about this. Like, I think potentially you could get like better keyboard shortcut support, potentially like pointing device support, potentially something that's the iOS equivalent of a menu bar. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like this is an opportunity for Apple to make iPad apps richer and more powerful Two as a part of the process that is bringing them to the Mac, which is a platform that wants them to be more powerful.
0: Yeah, like I mentioned recently that, like the iWork apps, like Numbers. Numbers is the one I use the most. Um, and but Pages, I think they all have it. But there's the I, the iPad versions have like a dot 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 button that opens yep. a popover, and the popover is full of items. Some of them have sub some menus. It's a menu uh-huh. bar. Like, yeah, is exactly. That, is that the way to do it in a dot 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 menu? I don't think so. But uh, if it is, then they should they should say so, right? And encourage. And, and I it.
1: think about could they just do a menu bar on the iPad? I think the answer is probably no. But but if not, then it's like, well, what could you do that gives you the kind of yeah. discoverability and the density of access to features yeah. that the Mac menu bar gives you? And if you can do that and it's not a menu bar and it's still good, then then great. But there are, every now and then, because I use Numbers on iOS a lot and on the Mac, and you, every now and then you're like, oh, I think I've reached the end. I think I can't actually get to this feature on iOS. And there's no real good reason other than I think they ran out of user interface yeah. for some of their features. And it's like, that's not good enough. You should be able to get to those features on iOS.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I worry about is that they they're not just putting figuring out how to do a menu bar on on iPad and be done with it is out of stubbornness and you know like because they don't want to do it they don't want to do a menu bar and I, one know, thing about menu bars is they're not cool right they're text and they're just you know a bunch of words for the menu names and a bunch of words for the menu items you know in a list and but guess what text is actually very information depth. Uh, rich you know it's it's yeah. there's there's a density right the information density of the mac menu bar is tremendous
1: it's it's enormous it is the best place it's the most i think revolutionary and maybe undersold thing about the mac interface when it started was right. the fact that every feature that was available in any given app was discoverable by going through the menus and that there were you could have submenus. menus there
0: was an incredible and, level of detail and while you're navigating the menus you you can't get lost right the way that you get out is you just move your mouse away and that's it you know it's it's it was it was it was a very dense and it wasn't you couldn't get lost and you uh, i don't know there's something like that that's missing
1: yeah i agree i agree i mean part of me thinks that the the solution is to do something that's very much like the menu bar yeah. um, but i and i i hope Again, in my kind of optimism about this, that at Apple, they've had this discussion of how do we do something that can float all of those kind of features out there somewhere in a way that makes sense on touch interfaces and makes sense on Mac, you know, yeah. traditional pointing device driven Interfaces. I also sometimes toy with the idea that what they're going to end up doing is saying, hey, now that we've built uh, iOS apps that also have menu bars, if you plug in a mouse to your iPad, we'll just show, the, show you the menu, menu bar and you can just use it. No. <laughs> like, hmm, okay, that would be weird. And I think it's probably the wrong decision, right, to, to revisit uh, the Mac interface convention on a new device. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, they need to, that means they need to invent something that's more appropriate that still has that density and and yeah. power.
0: I'll give you another example is photos. So photos for Mac, uh, came out a couple years ago and was obviously, you know, replaced, uh, iPhoto in a weird way, in a way that Apple often doesn't do, which is, and you know, in rare cases, Apple will keep an old app around. And introduce the new one, right? Like I fo- you could still run iPhoto right now. There probably are people still using yep. iPhoto because um, it's too different and the paradigm is too different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they stopped updating iPhoto, but uh, – or is it f- Photos? I don't even remember anymore.
1: <laughs> iPhoto. My photo two photos and then there's
0: photos for mac which is shares the and and the very best feature of it and in my personal experience as a thorough user of the icloud photo system um it is to me a rock has been for a couple of years now and very rock solid photo syncing system that uh, is both reliable and works fast and so my photos are everywhere on all my devices um Photos for Mac is sort of an iOS-ish looking app, but it's not like the Marzipan apps. And I believe, if I'm re- remembering correctly, people who dug within it, you know, like Stephen Trout and Smith style, found something called UX Kit, which yeah. some people thought might be that might be the Holy Grail that you and I were speculating about an hour ago that UX kit could be the UI kit for the Mac. And it. I think it turns out either it was and they decided to just leave it with photos or it was just something the photos team made to get that. You know, it was, and they just right. picked that name. Um, like nothing further has come of that. There have been no further apps that are to, on the Mac what photos is for the Mac. Um, but there's also, and I have gripes about some of the iOS-ishness of photos on Mac, but none of them to the... To the level of outrage and and I cannot, you know, WTF that the marzipan <laughs> stuff is filed under. There's something different there. But one aspect, but like some ways the familiarity is nice, right? Like, and, and the one that hit me just recently, because I've been trying to, I, I, for a bunch of reasons, I've been using my iPad Pro a lot recently. Um, and just visually, it is helpful for me. Like at the current place where my vision is between the two eyes, it is really helpful for me to have a screen very close to my face. Uh, and guess which big screen is the easiest to get close to my face. It's the iPad. It uh-huh. is really easy. It, it, it is a really almost eye watering accessibility advantage to be able to sit comfortably and read a nice big screen very close to my face. Um, and I went to edit some photos and I wanted to make some adjustments beyond the very basic ones. Uh, and I was like, what the hell, where'd they move these to? Where's like this, those things that you dropped And then I realized they're only on the Mac version. You know what I mean? You go into edit mode on the Mac and there's more than just filters you can apply. There's like individual things you can pop open with disclosure triangles to tie in another topic from a conversation earlier in the show mm-hmm. with detailed things specifically. Like if you just want to adjust uh, the brightness or the contrast or something like that, or the exposure level, there's a whole bunch of features I like did that, that are only on the Mac version. And I was like, well, that's crazy because isn't the iPad the one that's, <laughs> that's supposed to be getting all the attention? Anyway, that just drove me nuts. And, and yep. I'm sure Apple, they know about it. But it was crazy to me because I, I really spent like two minutes looking for how to do it on the iPad before I remembered that you can't because I, the iPad seems like it should be able to do everything the Mac version does in that regard.
1: Oh, I, you know, I agree. That's with, uh, with photos, since I wrote, uh, a book about it for, uh, take control. And so I, I compare and contrast the iOS version and the, and the Mac version. And it's fascinating all the ways that they don't sync up. And, you know, I, I, I can complain about the Mac version, not having the new search feature that they added to iOS. It drives me crazy because it's such a, it's such a useful thing. And, you know, you can't, you can't search for show me all the photos with snow and dogs. Like you can't, but you can do that on iOS, but iOS, uh, is lacking all sorts of editing features that are in the Mac version. And on my iPad, like, why are those not there? There's no, I don't understand why I can't do all the same editing things that I can do on my Mac, on my iPad. And, and there's no good reason for it, which is, yeah. it's funny, that that also means my standards have changed, where it used to be kind of like, well, I understand it. This is kind of the light version of that. And I'm I have left that era behind i'm like why is this not here the right. apple rolls out this new ipad and says it's faster than most of the laptops that are sold now and more powerful it's like all right well then why can't i edit my photos in the same way on this thing
0: yeah it's really comes down to screen size right like i totally get it with the iphone you know like i, I even with the you know what's the supersized xs max you know get the yeah. iphone 10s max it's still it's you know it's a tiny screen i get it you, maybe there's some advanced editing controls that you just don't want to figure out how to cram them on the screen. But there's, you know, the iPad 11 and 13-inch 11 and screens are plenty big enough for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I used my MacBook Air as an 11. Right. <laughs> this iPad's got a way bigger screen than that. There's plenty of room.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, I have that book. I have Take Control of photos for Mac. I, I it's on my Christmas reading list. Uh because I will tell you I'm coming at it as somebody who I know the Mac version pretty thoroughly and like I have no idea about like searching on the iOS version. Like I think I'm I hope I'm in for a pleasant surprise on the degree to which Apple photos are actually searchable because I'm <laughs> I'm they, coming. they are
1: I mean on the iOS they don't let you do like smart albums and stuff but you can you can stack up these queries in ways that i mean the example i give in the book is that i i said search for dogs and it's got like 800 pictures of dogs but i'm looking for this picture of the time that we took my dog up to the mountains and she was it's like the only time she was in the snow and so then on ios you search for dogs and you're like all right dogs and then you just type snow and then tap on the on the snow and then it's like here's two pictures there they are. Those are the two pictures of dogs in snow. And it is the picture I wanted of my dog in the snow. And it's like, yes, that is how this is supposed to work.
0: Uh, briefly quick hits before we talk about your keyboard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that that searching stuff, it ties into one last thing. I definitely wanted to mention on this show with you is, is the, the thing I linked to. Well, two bits of news that I thought were curiously came out the same morning this week was uh, Apple's promotion of John Gian Andrea. Uh, to a senior vice president level. Um, I can't help, but think cause he, he's only been there since the summer and he came from Google where he headed up summer. I was actually surprised when they hired him that he didn't start with a senior vice president title. And I just wonder if maybe it's policy now that some new hires, even at that level, you, let's see how this works out, right? right. Let's see right. if you're a fit. Um, like I can't help, but think that that was the plan all along. It's like, okay, you le- you're going to leave Google. You're going to join us we're here's a big pile of money. Uh, let 's see how this works and it 's worked apparently well and now he 's promoted to senior vice president level and because his job 's the same he's he started as the head of AI and machine learning um, and the other bit of news was uh loop ventures that 's gene munster 's outfit um, runs uh, to me i don 't know i mean maybe i don 't know if, how rigorous it is, but it sounds to me pretty interesting they've they run they've two years in a row they 've run these battery of eight hundred tests comparing Google's and Amazon's and Apple's uh, speakers and what they can do and what type of questions they can do and the really interesting thing to me is uh, it probably is a surprise to know when Google assistant was still the most capable um, and they all improved over the last year but Siri improved by far the most like well you know like Google assistant got like seven percent more questions right Siri improved 22 percent. And Siri's wasn't even 12 months. It was nine months because the HomePod didn't ship until nine months ago. Right. And basically, my theory, and I, I really think it's true, is I think Siri is getting a lot better in every way. Understanding you, capabilities, uh, and I think it's catching up to Google. I don't think, that, I, I don't think John, Gian, Andrea would have taken the job if their goal was any less than to catch or exceed Google in these areas. You know, I, I really think it's that serious. But I think Apple has a huge perception problem. I call it a boy who cries wolf problem where uh I think a lot of people hear the word Siri and they think, ah, that doesn't work. And that's it and they filed it under and it's it's the way that like first impressions can last a lifetime. Like people exactly. have filed Siri under a thing that doesn't work and I shouldn't bother trying. Yep. I'm I, I think what you're you think right. About I, think, that.
1: I think a lot of people um You know, once you're burned, you just, you just walk away and it's hard to get people to re-engage and to give it another try. And so with Siri, you know, I, I almost think that what they need to do, and this is what they should have been doing all along is keep improving it in the background and then you'll have a release or a new feature or something that you make available that lets you have say, Hey, we added a bunch of new things to Siri and it's way better than it used to be. Give it another try, but they're, they're going to need a marketing moment where they yeah. try to convince people to give it another try right. and in the background. It needs to have gotten a lot better in the meantime so yeah. that they can actually, they actually have something that's better to tell people to try.
0: I think it's, I think it is evident just from the loop ventures thing that they are in fact doing that and rolling out iterative updates, but it also meshes with my personal experience Using these things that it is getting better, not just with OS updates or with features that are get announced once a year at WWDC, but that it is, you know, Google style just under continuous improvement. And when something an improvement is deemed ready to ship, it is rolled out on their back end.
1: Yeah, that's the right way to do it, right? It's cloud it's cloud features, but then at some point, perhaps there's a marketing feature that they hold off on right. and announce somewhere and, and use it as a way to, you know, ask people to give it a new try, give it another another go because, you know, they know it's got a reputation. They, they're, not, they're not dumb. They're aware of Siri's reputation. Yeah,
0: I think you're right that they've got to hold off on, a, you know, some kind of new integration with the thing. I don't know what it would be, but so that they know. can say it or maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's, you know, maybe it's a little, you know, good old fashioned advertising campaign. Right? Right. Could be. You know, just throw money at it and do make clever commercials and get them everywhere and, you know, try to make it a thing. But I don't know. Something has to be done. In addition to just making it better, something has to be done perception-wise because the better, the getting better isn't enough because people won't notice if they don't try it. And it's like, you, you, and you don't accidentally try it, right? (laughs) I mean, you could accidentally. people
1: people only know that they remember the failures too. That's the other part of it. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The time that you asked to go to the pizza place you go to all the time and it gave you directions to, uh, North Carolina. <laughs> I got directions. I went to, we went Christmas tree shopping a couple of weeks ago and, uh, I forget the name of the place, Lynn Vola farms or something. It's, you know, suburban Philadelphia. Um, and I asked Siri for directions because we go once a year and the, the roads sometimes change and you want to get the traffic. So, I you know, I kind of know how to get there anyway. Um, and I know that you get there by starting going south on I-95 out of the city. And that was the directions I was following. And then we kept going and then we wound up we crossed the state line into Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> and it got we got to the Welcome to Delaware sign. And I was like, you know, I kind of thought we missed the exit. And then we checked and we were going to some place with a similar name in North Carolina. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that, that one still gets me. And that's, that's you know, because maps is the same story as Siri, where you, you remember the failures and they need to keep getting better right. and, and try to find ways to get people to try it again. And that's the, that's the maps failure that comes up a lot that I still can't believe that they haven't fixed, which is if, if it knows your location and you do a search... You'd be really aggressive that they're trying to find something, you know, near you. Please pick the thing that's sort of like this in Pennsylvania, yeah. and not the thing that is like it but in North Carolina, because I'm probably not asking about North
0: Carolina. Yeah, and 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 it, the way that these things fall short in so many ways, and I I think we'll get there faster than when we all think. I think it's that old that whole Bill Gates thing, uh, and maybe he didn't originate the line, but that uh, technology progresses way more slowly year after year than we ever think and way faster every 10 years than we think, you know, that Mm -hmm. you look at it year over year and it never seems like we're getting anywhere. And you look back 10 years and you're like, holy crap, that was crude. I think, you know, we'll have that sort of moment with this stuff. But like, if you got in an Uber or a Lyft and said to the driver, take me to a Christmas tree farm in North Carolina and you live in Philadelphia, they're going to double check (laughs) before they take off, right? Yeah. you you can have that conversation very quickly uh you know uh, that that conversation doesn't happen when you talk to apple maps right there is no double checking of the ridiculous are you sure you want to drive cross-country as opposed to driving 22 minutes out of the city (laughs) makes me want to get an uber and see what they would say if if i tried to go to north carolina (laughs) all right what's your current keyboard jason
1: uh i am using a vortex race 3 which is a i think what they call a 75 percent keyboard it's mechanical keys i use the cherry brown switches because i like those it's um but it's small it's got no keypad it does have a function key row so it's and it has dedicated arrow keys a lot when we talk about these keyboards you and i people send links to things that don't have arrow keys and it's like yeah you can hold down like the function key and move around with the arrow things that are arrow keys and it's like no i'm not interested in that i want I want arrow keys. I've spent my entire life with arrow keys. I, I want dedicated keys to move around my move my cursor around on okay. the screen, uh, and it's uh it's pretty nice. It's uh, you know it's just a USB keyboard, but um, having that extra function row is nice just for controlling you know media brightness, stuff like that. Um, and uh, it comes with Mac keycaps, which often Ooh. these keyboards don't. Uh, and you know it 's programmable, so you can put it into mac mode, and then at that point it 's just a Mac keyboard and not a you know Windows keyboard with uh, weird keys that you have to pretend are different keys or whatever it it, it that, that was a nice feature of it, and so that 's what i 'm using now
0: My weakness on the keyboard front is is on the wireless front it's i'm i 'm more yeah. likely to buy a bunch of and in fact, I <laughs> have recently bought a bunch of Bluetooth keyboards uh before settling on apple's um magic keyboard Uh which i can't believe i didn't try first because i had the old magic keyboard the one that took batteries and i didn't realize how much better the new one is that charges by lightning oh so Uh, you had the
1: you had the the whatever it was called it wasn't the magic keyboard it was like the uh, what was it
0: i think it was called a magic keyboard but i don't
1: know mm, I, I don't think so i think it was just the bluetooth keyboard and that's the yeah. one with the with
0: the double a yeah. going that little cylinder yeah, on a, the back a, a cylinder that honestly looked like it was meant to hold double a batteries you know
1: that's yeah right. exactly right and then the magic keyboard has just the lightning charger right. and no it's really good and you can get um studio neat makes a a, a thing and then there's another one that Federico, studio yeah. Neats is
0: called the canopy and it is lovely
1: and and uh, Federico found one that's very much like the old or- origami workstation thing, which has got mm. like a magnetic fold and all that. And the idea there is with either of those, you've got a little keyboard holder that is also a stand for an iPad.
0: Yes, exactly. I have to look up Federico's. Um, on, the me- on the actual plug-in mechanical keyboard front, I'm so loyal to the Apple Keyboard 2 that I'm a little less likely to... Do what I'm always tempted to do after you're on the show and just buy what you said you're using. Um, <laughs> although I did buy your Matthias, uh, but that's a wireless one. I did buy the Matthias one. Uh,
1: yeah, well, Matthias is the one that's supposed to be the most like the old switches on the, yeah, the I don't, Alps switches I don't on agree the extended.
0: It. Yeah, I don't agree with it. Um,
1: yeah, I don't like them as much as I like the the cherry brown um, switches because I got one of those testers that you and I discovered yeah. a couple a couple times ago when I was on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, I, I, I have used the Matthias with my iPad a lot, like in the kitchen. Although now with the iPad, the new iPad Pro, I've been taking, it can power more external usb keyboards than the old one could the old one was kind of touchy but now the, the it can power most of these keyboards that i've got so i've been sort of like just dragging out other mechanical keyboards and using them too
0: is is the keyboard are there options for colors or is the one that you show me like that's the that is it Like because it's a very it, it's colorful in the corners it's almost like lego like a lego like primary yeah, color so- palette
1: so it comes with all just shades of gray and then it's got highlight key colored versions that also come with it that you can put on. So by default you can have it be just completely it's like a light gray and a dark gray and that's hmm. it. And it's standard uh, keycaps. You could replace them with other keycaps if you wanted to. But and so I've got the I, I actually put my key, um my keys are yellow, my uh my arrow keys.
0: Yeah. That's what I see in the image you sent me. <laughs> This is a problem for me because there's. I have a couple of pet peeves with keyboards. A, I need arrow keys. Have to have them. them, uh, Yeah. I have to have Mac command keys or b- blank or something, but I can't have a Windows key. I, I, I just it, it offends me, and I don't. I don't want it. Oh yeah, it's the it's the worst. So if I, I agree. I, I want the Mac style, you know. And it could be, you know, in theory, it could say like control instead of you know. Or, or have the symbols instead of the names, you know.
1: Well, I was impressed that the Vortex Race actually has the Mac keys in the box. So you just lift off the yeah. uh, the windows and uh, whatever the alt key yeah. is. And you put on the option and the command. And, so and this, I, I like that because most of them do not do that. They just don't care about Mac keys. This one
0: ticks all of the boxes. Uh, all right. I've, I, here's another one. Another one for me. Really okay. personal. I cannot, cannot buy a keyboard that has ariel as the typeface for the keycaps and this one uses helvetica damn it jason
1: it looks good too it's got the um they're they're big in the center of the keys which is kind of old school typewriter a little bit and i like that about it um you know it's not these aren't for everybody i don't know did you ever figure out what kind of cherry um switches style you liked the best
0: no but i think cherry brown uh i think i'm with the the brown too
1: that's the one that 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 has worked for me. I don't no. know. I don't want to I don't want to cost you 130 bucks, but I I do I do like it. I got to tell you. I know we've been running forever, but uh it's a short show. Uh let's <laughs> I got I got one one story to tell you. I reviewed this um Bluetooth mechanical keyboard that that they read all the articles I wrote about this stuff and they're like, "Oh, you got to try this out. It's Bluetooth. It'll work on the Mac. It's got backlighting. It's all this stuff." And it's this crazy keyboard. It'll like it, it has backlighting effects where you touch a key and like lights ripple out from the key. It's very it's not good, but it's amazing. Um and I had this moment where I realized I had a uh an inviolable keyboard rule that I didn't know I had, which is they have a the shift key is on the far side of the arrow keys oh. on the right side, what? so if you want to press shift, you have to go past the up arrow
0: oh that's that would not and work i for me. i
1: started I started typing and I was like, oh no, I can't use this keyboard and I put it away. It's like i can't I can't even do it so there's weird weird keyboard layouts do not work for me. I actually bought for this vortex I just bought these things that are um they're like they're almost like covers uh for key switches and they basically block off. A key switch i think they're called what are they called switch blockers because the only problem i have my real complaint with the vortex uh three is that um i don't it's it's like on new apple laptops i have a hard time orienting my hands without looking yes because uh, it's just a grid of of keys and so um the right above the right arrow key on this keyboard is a lot of keys that I never really use, you know, home end, page up, page down. And I realized what I'm going to do now that I found these things, these switch blockers, is I'm going to take a couple of those keys off and block them. Hmm. At which point I have a blank space in the keyboard that my fingers can feel and orient properly so that that i'm excited that i i I knew those must exist somewhere and i finally found them so i'm going to give that a try and see if that solves that's the only complaint is that every now and then i find myself having shifted over a key and everything comes out nonsense and then i curse and move and then i get back to it and i want to i want to stop that
0: what does the ppn key do
1: uh, that's well, so this is a programmable keyboard. So um, you hold down PN and you can do stuff. That's how you switch between the Mac mode and the Windows mode. And for people who are programmers, I think my understanding is you basically can program multiple key, keystrokes into a single hmm. key using the programming system for the keyboard. But all I did was do what i looked in the manual and pressed the button that makes it a mac keyboard and then i'm going to lock that key out too quite frankly because i don't need to press that and no. accidentally send my keyboard into some weird key layer thing but apparently that's a for for some people that's a real um big thing is the programmable keyboards where you've got to fire off a whole bunch of keystrokes in a sequence and you can actually just program them in and then you press one key and it, it's like a macro it's like keyboard maestro Hmm. in in hardware in
0: hardware gotcha but i
1: don't i don't need that because yeah. i like, got
0: keyboard maestro yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly. i was gonna say that you beat me to the punch <laughs> one thing like i don't like it. about the mechanical keyboard world and i like about this one is that this one it's like you pick you got your, chi- you pick your switches and it gives you the keys and you just get a box with everything in it and then you, if you want to pop some keys off and put other ones on they're all there already and you're done there's exactly it's, there's a lot too many of these that uh, are shipping as like kits that you have to kind of do the assembly on more than just popping keyboards on it it's 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 like there's a
1: whole keyboard kit culture which is great if you're into that sort of thing but if you're somebody who just wants a a neat keyboard like this is a cool keyboard i want this it's like i don't want to solder anything i don't want to build my own keys i don't want to have to choose a particular layout i just kind of want to get the keyboard
0: and use it yeah because i I, you know i've I don't want to spoil any Christmas, but somebody in the household has been very serious about asking for a gaming PC for a long time, and Uh it's been determined that that they should get it. And I don't know shit about buying the gaming PC, and I heard people, and I brought this up a few episodes ago, and people wrote and said, uh, you should build them together, that this is, you know, father-son bonding experience, (laughs) and I know uh, your colleague and, and everybody's mutual friend on the internet, Mike Hurley, has gone through this. He did this, Yeah. Yeah. I and, think the
1: bonding is really that Jonas will hear um, swear words come uh, out of your mouth I that, hear, ma- that I, maybe I, he's never heard before.
0: Well, I, I, but I don't know anything about gaming PCs. I, or I didn't. <laughs> now I do because uh, me and, uh, and John Syracuse got me started and then I, I figured uh, it all out. But the thing I figured out with a, an enormous amount of research, like when I started like ballparking what my time is worth – and what I thought I was spending on this PC and how much time I had put into it, I was like, "Oh Christ!" I, I, sh- I mean, we're almost break even, and I didn't buy the damn thing yet. I mean, like,
1: yeah, you should have just paid somebody who was good to have uh, uh, a pre-built one that well, you just got. That's is
0: what we did. Well, what I figured out, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not in this world, but what I figured out is that they are—they're all build—build build your own. PCs. It's uh, just a question of whether you're the one screwing it all together or whether you, somebody else you order it and then they mail it to you already put together. Like uh, you, you, you know, and you know, a lot of this stuff you can figure out. I just didn't know which, like what is a good Nvidia graphics card for 2018, you know, but you just pick, you pick a CPU, you pick a GPU, you pick a motherboard, you pick what type of Ram and then you some kind of case and a cooling system. And, you know, it's all stuff, you know, you know what RAM is and you know what the difference in 8 and 16 gigs of RAM and certainly know what a SSD is, you know. Uh, but you, when you buy a pre-built one from like a reputable company, it's all you're making all the exact same decisions and the part names uh, are exactly the same. They just come all together and I'm hoping are guaranteed <laughs> to work all together. Uh so I'm not putting you down if you enjoy doing it yourself and maybe you can save some money, but I, you know, and I read some reviews and, and the reviewers, you know, like a PC mags are clearly no, um, would emphasize, you know, that, okay, this is, this build is expensive, but it's, if you look at the components, it's, it's actually not much of a, it's because the components are expensive. You know, this one, you know, you buy this thing from this company and sure that's expensive. Um, but it's, you know, price out the individual components and it's actually, you know, You're get you know, you're getting a lot of work, assembly work for a very low price. So that's the route I went. But the thing, the other thing that really cracked me up, really, really cracked me up, and it just shows I am I am further drifted into the Apple world over the decades. Um what these people consider expensive (laughs) is not expensive. It is like, oh my god, that's not they, I kept reading these things and they'd say like such and such is expensive. And then I'd look at the prices for it and it would be like that, you know, like SSD, you know, and they'd be like, "Whoa, it's pricey. And it's like, well, that's a lot less than I'm used to paying for, <laughs> for like a, a 256 to 512 upgrade on the SSD oh yeah so like the advantage of being ingrained in the apple ecosystem is you step over to the other side and it's it's like you know like you're going to some country where the dollar you know you know a hundred dollars can get you into a five star hotel it's just like this is not expensive but the other crazy thing about the pc world I didn't know if you knew this I'm sure everybody who's listening to this show is gonna think I'm ridiculously out of touch for not really being in tune to this but in the gaming PC world everything has LED lights everything right <laughs> your mouse your mouse has lights your keyboard has lights
1: it's like that keyboard that i that i tried which i think that's why it has those lights is cuz it comes from the from a gaming background and it's right that like you, the, you can have them do random patterns that have nothing to do with anything you can have them like it, it, like eight different programmable ways that your keys can dance in front of you as you type
0: I'm I'm not making this up Jason the displays have lights like not the display but like the back huh. of the display has lights that can shine onto the, oh, wall.
1: On the wall Oh yeah then to yeah totally
0: so it's like that Phillips thing, you know. Like Phillips had right. a thing for their TVs where they could sh- shine a light on the wall. Except... Yeah,
1: they find like the dominant color of the what was on the TV and broadcast that onto your wall, so it was more immersive.
0: Right, right. and I'm laughing, and you know, I, here I am, of someone who enjoys vacationing in Las Vegas, but it, you know, so I'm not uh, uh, immune to the charms of brightly colored, flashy lights. But it just seems like the craziest thing in the world that it's. It is absolutely one hundred percent. It's just assumed that your gaming PC will have a ridiculous sort of Vegas strip <laughs> sky it, that you're, you're like, you know, it's going to look like the sign to a, a motel two blocks off the Vegas strip. Yeah, right. Including the I keyboards, know. I the keyboard thing kills me. I mean, how could you look at that? And of course, you can always turn it off. I guess, but. Well, it seems crazy. Yep. <laughs> so you've avoided the whole gaming PC thing?
1: I have, and my son my son is a game is a gamer and would I think would love one and I think even he knows that it's maybe a bridge too far. I've offered to let him I have boot camp on my iMac no. Pro, which is a pretty good, you know, graphics-wise, pretty good. He could just come out here and play PC games. I think the the fact is that he is mostly satisfied at this point with um, console games and iPad games. Yeah. But I have, I have thought about it. It's actually one of the things that frustrates me about the Apple's current lineup is I kind of want to buy him a new Mac because he's got a very old MacBook Air. Yeah. But I want to get him one that's got decent enough power and graphics that I could put boot camp on it and let him play PC games on that. Yeah. And right now, that would be like the MacBook Escape Yep. I guess, which is old and need, hasn't been updated,
0: yeah, it's not um, a good so purchase. I'm just sort
1: of sitting it out because that that's what I thought I might do is, is it, get him a a, yeah. a Mac that could play PC games too.
0: It's especially a tough sell if you're going to be taxing it right like the the year and a half old MacBook Escape is a really tough sell It, it might be perfect for some people right now, but for somebody who's going to be taxing the graphics of it it's it's a really hard sell if yeah, it was exactly. ever a good one.
1: Exactly. So I do, I do fear that moment where he comes to me and says, it's time for me to get a gaming PC. Cause I, uh, I really would rather not go through that, but, uh, it might happen.
0: It's, it's an eye opener. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: Oh, I think, I think, uh, we've done all that two human beings can do in three hours and seven minutes.
0: Yeah. Um, it does seem like graphics cards, but it does seem like the connector story has straightened out on the PC side. It seems like everything is uh, DisplayPort and
1: that's good. Know, that's power good. And,
0: and USB, you know, I don't know. But I, I, we'll see how this goes.
1: I, I'm surprised, John. I mean, <laughs> having a PC in your house is a big step just on its own. Like, John, you mentioned John Syracuse, like, he won't have an Xbox in his house because it's like it's Microsoft, he's not going to allow
0: it. Yeah, see, I don't have that, I don't have any kind of uh, religious aversion to having a PC in my house. I, like, I've never been that type of, you know, I used to have an Xbox. It never bothered me because it wasn't, you know, it had nothing to do yeah. with why I used a Mac. Yeah, We have I, an
1: Xbox. It's fine.
0: Yeah, I always liked it. I actually liked it a lot. Uh, uh, I, that's not the issue. To me, it's, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, like, I'm not, uh, it's... You know, I I have no idea how Windows 10 works. I I've, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's is it going to be self explanatory? I don't know. My son doesn't use it either, and he seems to I don't think know. he'll just pick it up. And I'm hoping he will because. <laughs> but uh, I don't know.
1: It confuses the heck out of me because I learned how to use. I I can get around in XP, <laughs> right? But it right. doesn't help doesn't help anymore with now because my boot camp now is Windows 10. It's like I have no idea what's going on
0: there. Yeah, no, I haven't had boot camp. I've never even installed boot camp. I haven't had Windows installed on – I think the last time I ran Windows on a Mac was a uh, virtual PC. It wasn't sure. even like parallels. It was like <laughs> back in the PowerPC era. Uh, yeah, I think it was in the PowerPC era when – and it was so slow because – Like we soft
1: were, Windows or virtual PC, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it was
0: – I was a virtual PC fan for some reason. And it was important for me to – just for testing and in. in PC browsers, because I was doing web development work. And, you know, however slow it was, if it rendered correctly, you could just assume it would be fast enough, and somebody else would do final testing to make sure it wasn't actually slow, you know. But rendering issues were just the whole thing, and I could use it for that. But that, I mean, we're talking like 1997 or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. PCs have advanced since then.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they have, but it's, I'm not so sure they've advanced in that they've, that Windows has gotten better, or it's just, Mm. I'm just lost. I don't know. But it's quite a quite an eye opener buying these things, and I do see. You know, conversely, I see the. I didn't doubt it, but I do see the problem some people have with perceiving Apple's equivalents as being expensive. Although I will say this: here is another thing, though. Uh, so most of the stuff, like going from 256 gigs of SSD storage to 512, you, you pay Apple more than you pay most of these companies, you know, and you can buy components. There are, of course, you know, people who want to build out a $7,000 gaming PC or more, I'm sure. And you can buy, you know, the world, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can certainly put yourself well up into the stratosphere of Apple pricing, you know, on the PC side. Um, but there is, no, as far as I can see, there is no equivalent of the Apple's 5K Retina iMac display for a PC for the prices that, you, you know, that you assume the display is worth in the iMac.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, like for, and, and, you know, and gaming stresses it in different ways. And, uh, you know, what makes the iMac 5K monitor great for the stuff that Mac users use it for, it may not be suitable for gaming at all. You know, but like 4K gaming is a real stretch right now, as far as I can see, within relatively reasonable budgets, and there's very few displays out there. Uh, whereas I've had a 5K display on my desk at a reasonable price for I don't know how many years now, right? I don't know. Right. So that's one area where Apple is still, you know, you know, when they pick and choose their places, they're they're incredibly advanced and capable, Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And I remember that all that crazy stuff they did where they had like tool to, the way they got the 5k iMac to work is it really had like two Thunderbolt things speaking and doing right. half the screen and they just made it so you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a bad world out there. I don't count yourself lucky. Anyway, Jason Snell, thank you so much for coming back. Always a pleasure. Have a good holiday season. Everybody can read your work. You too. Find all of your work at six colors. Uh, dot com uh, yeah. I always like to note you can spell colors however you feel it should be spelled uh, on Twitter at J Snell and for your podcast listening enjoyment uh, Jason has about 30 different podcasts <laughs> <laughs> including uh, oh I should definitely mention um, the, the episode of The Incomparable that we did where we talked about 2001 A Space Odyssey I linked to it a few yes. weeks ago um, but, and, uh, the other people who have been mentioned on this show were there as well. John Syracuse, Dr. Drang, who is delightful and probably needs to have a podcast. Uh, but I thought that came out so well. I, I don't know. I was really worried because it's a very difficult film to talk about. And I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, was glad you could be on and it was fun to talk about. That's one of those movies that you could, I mean, you could literally talk about it for days and not scratch the surface of it, but I felt like within the context of a you know ninety minute 2 hour or whatever podcast, we covered a lot of the highlights, and, and it was fun to, to have that conversation. So thanks for being on. Yeah. Uh, what other podcasts? Uh, the one maybe of most interest to talk show listeners is Upgrade that I do with Mike Hurley every every uh, Monday, and I do with some other stuff over at Relay. So Relay FM for that and the incomparable.com for the incomparable stuff. And, and I post most of those highlights at uh six colors anyway. Yeah.
0: yeah. So just go to six colors and you'll find, you'll find it all. Anyway, have a great holiday season. Best to you and the family.
1: Thanks. Likewise.